Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Kyle Hilliard. Hi. Jeff Marchiafava. Hey. Suriel Vasquez. Hi. And surely that's it. Surely I couldn't imagine any other voices improving nope. this podcast. That's the complete cast. It'd be too good. Unless some mysterious voice. <laughs> hang in. Hang on. Somebody's walking up to the mic right now. Someone's kicked open the door. Oh, gamers. Woo! Number one gamers here. Leo Vader, sir. Welcome to MinMax. Thank you so much. Is that is that the new nickname? Number one gamer? <laughs> E3 King out the window at this point. Name a better one. Hey, you know what? It's up <laughs> to the MinMax community to come up with a better nickname for Leo overall. Leo, thank you for joining us here, sir. My pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, for people that are not familiar with your beautiful, beautiful voice, um, you were the video editor and then video producer for a while at Game Informer. Uh, you have your own YouTube channel now. Would you like to give that a plug? Yeah, youtube.com slash Leo Vader. Awesome. Uh, a beloved former coworker that has joined MinMax on the cohort scale. Is that the way it's framed? <laughs> this <laughs> sure, is your you me, man. I don't know. Yes. Anyways, Leo, you'll be joining us uh, like somewhere in that on a rotation level. And so we appreciate you taking the time out to podcasting with us, man. Yeah, happy to do it. How are you, you feeling? You guys are doing good work here. <gasps> oh, thank you, man. How are you feeling thank overall you. about... Uh, this phase of your life uh it's exciting a big big transitional period still doesn't feel real yet my old obligations at game informer not having to do them this week it feels it feels wrong but everything i'm set up to do right now i couldn't be more excited to get started doing so i've been feeling good oh that's great it's yeah it's there's a lot of emotions a lot of waves let me tell you what it's like to leave game informer leo um please you miss everybody there a lot but then you have these waves of realization of like Oh, I don't have to feel, like deal with that broken tripod anymore. Like it's specifically the tech <laughs> that I just I feel so relieved for not having to worry about anymore. But like, oh man, the back of the broadcast picks, I never have to plug and unplug those cords again. It's all fine. It's it's all in Alex Dadnick's wonderful hands over there. So show him some love and support, everybody. That's right. Yeah, I got to take this PC we had in the studio there to use as kind of my streaming PC. Oh, but okay. I obviously gave it back before I left. And so Smart. it was like one last day of tech troubleshooting of plugging stuff in and getting it working and having weird nonsensical problems. So it was very good. <laughs> oh, boy. Goodbye. Uh, so at Minimax here, you're going to be, because we hit our goal on Patreon, thanks to everybody that supported us to allow us to bring Leo on. Like he's here because of your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, but because you hit the goal, we are going to be creating video essays. Every other week is the plan right now, Leo. Have you had more thought on what you want to do with those? Every other week sounds good. I I want them to be fun. I think it's like I want to do essays, but also wouldn't be opposed to doing just any more short form stuff that's like maybe cut down fun ideas. Like we used to do a six stunt, something along those lines. Just like the idea of more for people who don't have time to engage with min-max in a super, super long Right. term away every day i feel like making more content for them that's kind of my goal yeah and having another video person here um is a relief for me and it's really nice because i think overall with min max we've done a lot of long form stuff and i would try and do shorter things even like going back to min snacks or even like photo mode snaps started as kind of like a tightly edited thing and just got to that point of it's just not worth the time to edit these things down we have so much to to get done here but yeah now with you on board i think it'll allows us to be more flexible and create shorter content, longer content, more streams. Um, you're also going to be a big component of the Great Goatee Hunt streams moving forward. Yes. Because Thank you. Leo is what is known as a 
pro gamer. So <laughs> we can look <laughs> forward to Number one gamer right here. That's mm. right. Look forward to somebody who's skilled on the mouse and keyboard over there. Um, you, also, had a good, you had a good send-off, Hanson, this week with your <laughs> giant boss battle against that uh, Devolver Land yeah, video so boss. We played that Devolver Land Expo. Uh, have you guys checked that thing out? It's awesome. Yeah, I saw a bit of the stream. It looked really cool. Yeah, so what they did is Devolver Digital, uh, in honor of E3 uh, not happening this year, they recreated the LA Convention Center and then gamified it. And so ultimately, you're just walking through the convention center and looking at a lot of huge digital booths for Devolver's games. It's like if Devolver just took over South and West Hall, which is a very fun, absurd idea. Uh, But then they also have collectibles and stuff in there, and then they have a boss fight at the end, which is impossible jeff if you watch that stream yeah. you know this thing is like final boss i was Sekiro very impressed when you finally got through it. yeah oh my god that's the ultimate challenge is to take you know uh, our moms and have her beat the boss in devolverland expo forget this Sekiro challenge yeah. that's in the past yeah. baby um leo it's nice to have you here and we should point out that um if you want to talk to leo ask him about anything under the sun you can do it this Sunday uh, for MinFax. It'll be our call-in episode. Normally, it's the last Sunday of the month, but I'll be out of town for the last Sunday of the month. And so this Sunday, July 19th, 6 p.m. Central, if you're at that MinMax Council tier on Patreon, uh, the call-in tier, we'll be pulling you from the Discord and we'll call you up and then Leo and I will talk to you about whatever you'd like. It's, a, it's your show. And I don't know, I guess we did a couple call-in shows at Game Informer uh, few and far between, uh, but it's a very fun format, Leo. So I'm looking forward to getting you in on that one. Yeah. AMA. Perfect. Um, okay. On this episode, we're talking about a lot of stuff. We have ghost of Tsushima that, uh, a lot of us have been playing. Kyle, I think has finished it. We'll talk all about that. Um, paper Mario, the origami King surreal. Yeah. Great. Uh, we can talk about some Ubisoft news, a little bit about half-life Alex, and then some other odds and ends before the back half of the show is community questions submitted on Patreon. All right, Ghost of Tsushima. Kyle Hilliard, uh, you have finished this thing. How would you sum it up? How is it? Uh, you you ready to take a note, Hanson? Yeah. I fucking love that game, Ooh, man. Oh, wow. All Great. right. Uh, and That's it. Next language. segment, Paper Mario. <laughs> well, we should, also, we should also note, by the way, that Sony provided the codes. Yes. I just got to give that disclaimer out there. Um, how long did it take you to finish that thing? That's tough to say because there's no hour counter. Yeah, um, but it does. It does feel long. I don't mean that in like a negative way, but like it is. It is one of those games that like it. There's like there's like these two gates where it, the the world keeps expanding and expanding, and like every like it, it's one of those things where it's like, man, I kind of feel like I'm at the end of the game, and it's like, nope, you have like a whole nother section of this island to take care of, you know? Yeah. So like I'm seeing people estimate online like around 50 hours, and that feels about right. I, th- I think it's around there. Okay, uh, Jeff, you've been playing too. Yeah, I'm probably like 15 hours in at this point. Okay. Are you are um, you into the second area or still like in that first? No, area? I'm still in the in the first area. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Cyril, you've been playing too. Uh, I've only played like the first couple of hours because I've been busy with other games, obviously. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm I I haven't made it past that first area really sure. okay gotcha Honey, it's really holding you guys up uh mm-hmm. leo uh coolest gamer around have you checked this thing out at all 
Uh, I got a code right before I was going to leave Game Informer, and I was advised not to redeem it. <laughs> that would be <laughs> iffy to go on to do coverage somewhere else than, uh, you know. Yeah, that's tough, though. That's very noble of you. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of like this thing overall? Samurai in Ghost of Tsushima. Oh. But Jeff, what do you think about the game so far? Uh, I effing like it. I guess oh. would, would be I, I am I am enjoying it um, I've been I was kind of surprised in the first couple hours where it was like oh like this is this is another one of those very traditional open world there's a symbol on my map every five feet and I'm I'm going from one thing to the to the next it's it's actually been a while since I've played one of those huh and and I think I think uh, Ghost is an interesting mix of like some some very interesting and unique like when when they really you know home in on kind of the the samurai setting and Japan as a setting and do unique things with that it's really interesting but then every now and then they'll just lapse into like very traditional open world where it's like this is my 15th bandit camp that I'm I'm you know sniping my way through or like this is this is an actual tailing mission that I'm going on I'm tailing this guy and I'm hiding in bushes as as I'm following him and and some of those things have been kind of throwing me for a loop they're 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 like they pop up enough that it's like oh wow like the, I it more than anything it it's not like it's terrible gameplay or anything but it's just surprising to me sometimes where it's like oh we're we're doing this kind of thing i've done this a lot in games but because yeah, it's been the, a while the tailing missions definitely were the moment i was like oh really we're doing this okay but they're very generous like i feel like they're more generous than yeah. most so yeah. it's like it's the best it's been done in a while but it's still a tailing mission ultimately yeah. you know yeah, yeah i've uh, seen a lot of comparisons to assassin's creed yeah, and that's totally fair. Like, I think so. I it's it's it, I mean, kind of jumping off. I, Jeff, you're kind of getting at it a little bit, but like the thing about Ghost of Tsushima is like it's not an innovative game. I would not call it innovative or like really testing out like big new ideas in any real way. But like, there's just so many little things that click with me so well, where it's like it just feels great to play. The combat is consistently interesting, and only even up to like the end of the game was still kind of like adding new ideas and really like, interesting and like it i mean i think i've talked about before how much i love sucker punch games like infamous and sly cooper and this like feels closer to infamous than i expected it to like the way Jin jumps and grabs onto ledges feels like infamous characters and like and then like there's also things like you're the way that they've talked about the wind directing you you know towards your goals and stuff like that yeah I really love that, and I think it's one of those things that I will miss when I go to other open-world games. Like, not ever having to... There was never a moment in the game where I was like, oh, I wish I had a mini-map. Like, it's just... Yeah. It's integrated into the environment. It feels natural, and and it's like... It always lets you know where to go, and you can just... You can look at the environment. You don't have to look really at icons on the map. The closest thing to an icon are the yellow birds that show up, which will help yeah. you get to your destination. So yeah. is a mini-map not even an option? As far, I no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Unless I just missed it, like it could be in there. I never, it never occurred to me to even look for it. Is that sounds right? kind of innovative to me. That seems yeah. cool. Yeah, is there a regular yeah. map though. Yes, there, yeah, there, there is a regular, regular map, map in and your... you do look at that a lot. And 
the, there's fast travel is like a huge part of it, but the loading is really quick. At least it was on a PS4 Pro. Like I was yeah. impressed how no, quick loading it. I'm I'm playing it on a base one, and I've been surprised by that too. I'll be like halfway through reading one tip when I'm fast traveling, and and then you pop in. I, I was going to say, Hanson, kind of to what what Leo was bringing up that you say that it's not you know it's not hugely innovative but i feel like there are a lot of kind of small things that i was really surprised by and i haven't seen in other games and the wind one is one where it's like i want this kind of navigation in every game because not only is it is it really built in built in really well and you know a subtle kind of effect but it just it looks beautiful and it brings the world alive so much more to have you know, like this constant wind that's just kind of, and so many different particles and stuff, you know, floating through the air. And that the fact that that's actually functional is really cool. Yeah. Speaking of functional, would you want to back away from your mic a little bit there, Jeff? Um, you know, I asked you like five times. <laughs> well, when you count, you count so quietly. Um, but with the wind thing, I love it too. And I love that it's like not even a button press. It's just like swiping the D-pad is your little reminder of which way to go. But dumb question, is the wind always going the direction towards the marker or is it just when I swipe the touchpad? No, it, it seems like it's always generally blowing in that direction. Okay. So if I'm just paying attention, and it's it, not going to suddenly change yeah. the wind waker when I, when it's yeah, showing it, the objective. It seems like the swipe is if you, if you really want them to hit you over the head with it, but the otherwise generally it, okay. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of other things you mentioned the combat as well, Kyle. And I think that that is another place where it, deviates enough and you have some really interesting you know different mechanisms like the different stances and stuff that all make it and and just the pace of combat where you're really cutting down people in just a couple hits when you actually get hits in and stuff and that that all feels really satisfying and i really like the standoff mechanic where once once you find a group of people, you can just basically, instead of stealthing in it, you just call out to them and it kind of goes into a cutscene where you're walking up to them in a very, you know, samurai film-esque kind of way. And then you just hold in a button and you wait for the guy to attack you. And just, just the, like, it's so well thought out in terms of the mechanics where you're holding in the button and it's just the releasing of the button at the right moment that makes him slash out. Like, that is... Those those kind of little moments are just so satisfying, and that's that's what I've really been enjoying about it. And the fact that you're like writing haikus and you're going to onsen and reflecting on your memories of your uncle and stuff like that. Yeah. That's that's where I think funny, the game really shines. A quick funny thing that happened to me last night. I I was doing the haikus. I like just again to like elevate this game. I beat it. I'm still playing it. Like I'm still going in and trying to clean things up and find things. And uh, I did all coups, and I had one left, and I found out that the the last one I had to do was, like, the tutorial haiku guy that I just missed. So I fa- the last haiku I did was a guy explaining me how to write haikus, <laughs> and then Jin said, I should do some more of these. <laughs> and it's like, you already did, man. <laughs> like, <they're> all done. <laughs> but that kind of stuff is quaint now. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's... An interesting thing, as you start the game, before you even get to the title screen, which is maybe like an hour in, something like that, it is one of those feelings of, in that opening section of, okay, it feels a little bit antiquated, feels like this could have been at the turn of the PS3, PS4 generation, just design-wise, 
And then when the world opens up, is that realize, realization of, oh, this is what this is what they spent all their time on. It's just the beauty of this world. And having that first moment of the world opens up, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to set my objective marker at this random point that's pretty far away here. And then just making that ride out there. And then it ended up being like a golden shrine on top of a hill where you had to do a little bit of platforming to get to it and stuff. And then just like this beautiful overlook of the island is like, okay. This is the game that I'm looking forward to playing is exploring this island, not, you know, necessarily the story beats or their more set piecey stuff, which which they try and emphasize a little bit, maybe too much in the beginning there. Yeah, yeah. the story, the story um, is is good overall, but it really like it wasn't until like the last like three, four hours that I was like really into it, which is like, wow, both a negative, but also a compliment because it like finishes really strong. Okay. Like really like like a lot of the stuff that had been building up, I feel like is really like, you know, like you're holding down triangle waiting for someone to attack you. They really let go of triangle at the right moment, like 40 <laughs> hours into the game. Um, and up to that point, it's it's fine. It's just like it's not like super engaging, but like the like the last confrontations and stuff like are really good. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, and and worth and like seeing to the end, I would even say. And and I do I do like the presentation of all the story things and you know, you have like the title screens that come up that are written in Japanese and it's like and ev- ev- like even little side missions are like the tale of so and so or whatever and and they they do have like really good camera angles and things that they'll throw in where it'll be like a a a big tracking shot of like a wide landscape and you're like little guy going across it and like some of those are just really nice touches back to kind of inspired by you know samurai film and, and yeah. those kind of things. I, I think, just- but, but I I sorry I I do feel like in terms of production values, like one of my first impressions was like they should have released this before the last of us too, because that yes. is, that is such a hard thing. Like they should have just flipped those releases. And I, and I probably wouldn't have been as, you know, critical or just, I, I mean, like I, I probably would have been so much more enthusiastic about it going into it, but it's coming up. Yeah. Afterwards. I mean, cutscenes feel a little stiff, but every cutscene is going to feel a little stiff after playing last of us too. Right. Like it's just yeah. kind of impossible to avoid. Well, and, yeah, and I I also initially started trying to play it with the Japanese voices, you know, because I thought like, okay, this is the game, this is the perfect game to do that for. But it's the lip syncing is clearly just not adjusted for that, and oh, so right. you it ends up feeling dubbed, even though that's supposed to be the, <laughs> like like that. That's the one benefit of playing in what should have been the original language is it, it all looks completely off, and so I had yeah. to restart it and play it. The reason I haven't made too much progress is because I played through that opening section like three times with like, well, how do I want to play this? Do I want to play this with like the Kurosawa mode? Because it's like a thing you can enable at the start of the game, which makes it black and white and gives you the Japanese audio. But I don't think, I think you should just play it the way, like the standard way, because I think both of those options like don't really do the thing that they want you to. So like, um, so like Jeff said, there's no like Japanese dub for all the character, all the facial animations. And also, like, the black and white mode, um, there was a point where I thought it was nighttime, and I turned it color because I was, like, messing with all the options, and it turned out it was day. <laughs> and so it doesn't really have, like, the, the sense of contrast that a black and white movie does. Uh, so it doesn't feel like it's a black and white movie. It just feels like, what if we took this very colorful game and made it black and white? So, like, I, even though it has, like, these allusions to, like, Kurosawa films, it doesn't feel like 
when they put that mode on it, you don't really necessarily get that effect. So a, I ended yeah. up playing it multiple times just to figure out if I wanted to. And you probably just should play it the way they want to. Because it does look like the color stuff is just amazing. Like the way they use color and stuff to make the stuff shine, I think is, is like really well done. Yeah, some of the best leaves I've ever seen in the game. And there are a lot of them. It's the leafiest game I've ever seen in my life. Uh, uh, yeah, also some of the most along with the best. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yeah, Kyle, like that... Last of Us comparison is so tough to shake myself out of. And we just finished the deepest dive in The Last of Us, so I've been focusing on The Last of Us so much. But even just small things, you know, like talking to an NPC, they give you a little side quest, and, like, the camera is just, like, this extreme wide shot. And then, like, if you walk up to the NPC later and see their face, like, okay, now I understand why they had to go for that extreme wide shot on this thing. And then uh, the writing in general, it just, it feels, it feels like dialogue from a, movie from the 50s you know which is like what they're so inspired by which is great but at the same time it just it feels a little bit flat and humorless at least in that beginning section i'm curious how much it evolves over time kyle there's one comedic character okay that's about (laughs) it it's it is pretty humorless like there's a couple of good there's a couple of good lines from Jin that i like where he's just like thinking about there's like little lines of interesting dialogue but it's not it's not a clever game like they they they're just trying to emulate that sort of style of film. And, you know, they do, but it's... Yeah, like, the writing is is fine. Like, it's never actively bad. It's also yeah. never actively super interesting. Wouldn't it have been cooler if they did the lip-syncing with the Japanese voice track and so it looked like an English dub? Wouldn't If they're going for that style so much, wouldn't <laughs> that have been the preferable configuration? Yeah, people yeah did, they should have. They did a terrible job lip-syncing. That's probably the case. <laughs> or they could do... I mean, yeah. I know Final Fantasy VII Remake had an impossible budget, but at the same time, they did lip-sync for both languages. Like, it's not impossible, but maybe... Right. I mean, even, game. like, uh, Judgment did it. So, like, oh, from, really? From Sega. Yeah, so it's not... I mean, obviously, it would, would have taken a lot of resources, but it's not heard of yeah yeah, yeah didn't they, they used like ai for final fantasy or something right didn't they like something like robots that. to do it for them <laughs> yeah so it's stupid not to just steal square's hot ai plug it into that game yeah we oh, don't like know it, you just robots. assume it's hot <laughs> oh it's hot all right uh so is the takeaway kyle like you love the game but a lot of it feels like gameplay comfort food in a really cool setting is that the summary here yeah, I think that's fair, and I don't think that's even like really a knock against. No, it. not I at think, all. I think it was uh, Mike Mahardy had a tweet where he was kind of like, you know, this it's not particularly innovative, it's kind of familiar, but like it's exactly what I want right now, and I can't yeah. put it down. And I kind of feel similarly. Like it's it's it is comforting, and like they also, I mean, I, like I don't I don't even know if it's an innovation necessarily, but they do so much to like keep you out of menus. Like I was so intimidated by the stances and all the different, you can have like multiple, you have two different types of bow and arrows. And I was like, Oh man, am I going to like, I have to, if I want to do a sniper shot, I got to go into the pause menu and, and like equip my long, long, you know, long shot arrow bow and arrow. But like, that's not the case at all. Like every weapon, every stance can be, like activated and used without entering a menu. It's all just a matter of like knowing the button presses. So it just keeps you in the world. It keeps you in the combat and you're doing a million different things at the same time, which is great. Yeah. And and it does it in a really smart, you know, intuitive way where you, you kind of, you hold in one trigger and that will bring up your options for, you know, like throwables or something. And then the other one will do stances or something like it. It's really easy to figure out. And actually that is juxtaposed to, the Last of Us is, 
The Last of Us 2's system where it's like, okay, now I have to move over and then I have to press another button to go up in the weapon wheel to mm-hmm. select my other pistol or something like that, where it's it's a lot more fumbly, which I guess it's it's supposed to be at that point for the game because you're digging through a backpack or whatever. But it, it is very streamlined and very satisfying. And I, I also want to say that, like, you know, it... Like, it kind of grates on me that I'm going through bandit camps, like, all the time, but it's... The core gameplay is still very satisfying when I'm doing those things. I think, like, the the checkpoints are not great. Mm. Like, you can you can... A lot of times it's just like, okay, you're just back at the beginning of this bandit camp if you die during it. And that's that's another one where, like, The Last of Us had the best checkpoints ever, and so I'm sorry I keep... I can't, you know, not like compare those two in my mind, but but just that core gameplay has kept me wanting to continue playing throughout, you know, whatever whatever criticisms I have of some design choices. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I've heard a lot of people compare it to old Assassin's Creed, and I wonder if there's going to be this weird rebound this year where people are going to be excited for Valhalla, but there's definitely that crowd of like I want the old AC experience, and at the end of this year, there's going to be a certain number of people that are like the best AC game this year was Ghost of Tsushima. Is that going to be the discussion? I mean, I feel like it, I feel, I feel like it has more in common with like a Far Cry than an assassin, like a classic Assassin's Creed maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it actually, and I mean, it does, it does stealth better than the classic Assassin's Creed games did stealth, you know? Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so Kyle, love it. Absolutely. Love it. Maybe, not to get ahead of ourselves, but yeah. like maybe my favorite game I've played so far this year. Wait, do you like it more than The Last of Us? Love it? Yeah, I like I, I Last of Us. Like undeniably, the more engaging story game. Like yeah. that story is incredible and had me like crying multiple times. But in terms of to quote you, Hanson, a gamer ass game for gamers. <laughs> That's like, right. Like I just loved it. Like I just it's like I don't know. It just really clicked with me, and like I just I loved that. Like, I just was always in control of Jin and, like, always in control of the acts. Like, in terms of just a video game that I liked existing inside of, like, I really enjoyed Ghost of Tsushima, and it just made me so happy where Last of Us just moved me uh, emotionally. To a bigger house! Uh, <laughs> that's great. Well, hey, run, don't walk. Check out Ghost of Tsushima. I'm looking yeah, forward to, to playing it. more. I was, you know, I'm not a big open-world guy, but... In terms of like getting on a horse and exploring an island, I am I am that kind of guy. So I'm going to play it that way and see how long I last mm-hmm. in it. But I, I'm excited to keep going. Um, let's see, Leo, ready for a fastball? Yeah. Streets of Rogue. Hit me. <laughs> <laughs> Speak on it. <laughs> no, Jeff has been playing it. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Yeah, I played a little. They they added it to Game Pass, Leo. So I've been playing the Xbox version, and it's a fun game. Heck yeah. I'm glad to hear that. They added their first DLC recently, which was just like five new characters, the first they've charged for after the long early access period where they just kept adding characters for free. And they're pretty fun. There's like a mech pilot now who can get in and out of his mech, which is pretty much indestructible. There's a courier who does like gig stuff where they are on roller skates and they can go progressively faster and faster as long as they don't bump into anything god so Hmm. streets of rogue it was one of your favorite games from last year yeah my number three i think number three overall and how would you describe this insane game 
it's an immersive sim zoomed way out, I would say. It's like pixel art. It's procedurally generated. So, you know, Streets of Rogue referencing a roguelike. But it's all about picking these different characters with these different abilities. A lot of them are combat-based. So you're running around destroying the things you have to destroy, killing people, freeing people, all these procedurally generated missions in these procedurally generated cities that are impressively diverse. But also, uh, it's like... Uh, a lot more charisma stuff. Like that's where the immersive sim part comes in is you have characters who can buy things from people or convince them to join you. There's a comedian character who you can tell a joke and people either like it or hate it. And they might like it so much that they follow you around and you can tell them to go into this base and do this mission for you. It's like, it's a story generator essentially. Yeah. One of those, but one of my favorites, Jeff, what do you think of this thing so far? Uh, I have been enjoying it. I'm, I still, I kind of had to, bounce between a couple different other games so i haven't gotten super into it or in terms of you know like the progression of unlocking different characters and stuff but um i have been enjoying it i feel like i and i would like to hear if this gets better leo there there are times where i will go through several levels of the city and then i will die and it and it it won't be until like 30 seconds afterwards that i even realize why i died at that point um yeah am i gonna get better at it leo <laughs> is that gonna is that gonna happen less no promises i think you eventually do get a better sense of what not to do to avoid those chaotic situations where you suddenly explode but there are also mutators that you can use most of them without any consequence including yeah, better, like restart from the start of the world instead of the start of the whole game. Okay. And there's one that actually just slows the game down to 70% speed or 80% speed. That's what so that I might missed. be helpful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it, it seems like the, the last level of each world kind of has some kind of, kind of weird, like extra challenge to it where it's like, there's yeah. a gang fight going on and everyone's killing each other or, Police lockdown or like a killer robot that's coming after you with the rocket launcher. Yes. And also you can turn those off if you don't like them or turn off individual ones that you don't like, which is really nice because some of them are make it really impossible to do certain characters missions. Wow. Yeah, but I've been enjoying it and it's on Game Pass. People, you know, want to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's on Switch too, right? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I uh, went on a it's long on plane Switch flight. And everything. That's all we want to know. <laughs> yeah. I went on a long plane flight, uh, one of my last game former trips, and it was 10 hours straight of playing Streets of Rogue <laughs> on my Switch. Oh, my wow. God. Great. That's amazing. Uh, hours of battery life on that thing, huh? Pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty I impressive. had this monster battery pack that I had it plugged into. <laughs> uh, speaking of procedural, Kyle, did you get a chance to check out uh, Jeff Keeley's final hours of Half-Life Alex? Uh, I have not. Okay. We, you ha- we had a very insulting conversation about this, Hans. <laughs> That's true, because I'm so annoyed that you haven't checked this thing out yet. So, uh, Jeff Keighley's been in this for a while for a lot of big games, where he did like Tomb Raider, did Portal 2, but he does this thing called The Final Hours. He's been doing it since, I guess he was a kid, because he did The Final Hours of the original Half-Life, visiting Valve back in the day. Um, but it's always been in a different format, and I think for, what, Portal 2, it was an app... Uh, yeah, Tomb Raider and Portal 2 I read on an iPad. I right. And now at yeah. this point, it is just a, a app slash interactive thing on Steam that you can get. And Kyle is horrified I, I by the idea of having to read it on his computer. Yeah, I don't want to read it on Steam. I, I, 
I don't have a great reason for that, but I, it's defined as an interactive storybook, I think is what the Steam description says about it. Oh, weird. Yeah, there's like, yeah. They, they try and get clever where they have little like puzzles like, oh, complete the circuit to unlock more concept art. It's like, after two of them, I'm like, I'm good, Mr. Keeley. I'll just keep reading this thing. Um, but <laughs> it is an incredible uh, piece overall and offers a lot of insight into Valve throughout the last... 10 years of its life like if you're looking for the definitive take on what's been going on inside valve the stops and starts for different versions of half-life 3 along the way like check out the final hours of half-life alex on steam it's a it's a pretty long read but it's one of those things that's just like beautifully thorough and the part that i just love is they literally have a section where it's just hey what has valve been up to over the last 10 years and then it's just a timeline that shows all of the different projects that they've been working on just like Fully open in the kimono, just every project, you know, at, at least it seems that way that they were working on that the outside like world a, had no any idea. Any Left 4 Dead 3s floating around? There in are there? several Left 4 Dead 3 projects where they start, some like got to a team of like 30 people before it kind of fell apart. And a lot of it, you know, Here. which you can probably piece together, comes back to the development of Source 2, uh, their engine, how it wasn't quite ready to the point that I didn't even catch this, but remember when they released the lab, like that VR kind of minigame collection? Apparently, yeah. that wasn't on Source. They released it, uh, I think it was made in Unity, just because Source 2 was not at a point where it could support even the games that they're going for in that, just because that engine is just slowly being pieced Source together. Two? Was Alex? Well, was no. Alex made in Source 2? It was, yeah. But then, you know, okay. going back to like Dota 2, like the port mm. there over yeah, to they Source made, 2. There was, was a point code. where they had to transfer Dota from Source 1 to Source 2. Right, oh, right. Okay, okay. But to get back to the procedural thing, there's a, a funny section in that piece overall where they're talking about, you know, this guy's like, oh, you know, I started a project and I had, you know, a decent sized team. We're kind of building up. And so it was kind of like a procedural thing. Here's an exact quote here. He says, we were working on the single player game that would use proceduralism in concert with crafted experiences to create something played in an open-ended way. And it's just this weird, vague thing. And then at a certain point, Robin Walker at Valve, like, interrupted the interview. And he's like, hey, what was the name of that project? Tell Jeff Keighley the name of that project. And the guy's like, yeah, the project was called Half-Life 3. So, <laughs> so at some point, that was Half-Life 3. It's like there'd be kind of these more story-centric hubs and then okay. more procedural changing challenges. Like, okay, you got to rescue this person from this house and we're going to be dropping guards in a different way every single time in between those sections. Which, cool. as somebody who loves Half-Life but hates uh, procedural elements, Kyle, I'm curious where you'd land on that one. Yeah, no, no good. No good. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> See, I thought I mean, you were describing I mean, Left 4 Dead 3 because that's basically what that is. Is like, here's some bespoke geometry that's intermingled with like procedurally generated encounters. Right. Well, I think yeah. maybe even this case, I think some of the geometry would be reworked, but it's all just, you know, reading yeah. into I mean, these I, few quotes. And like, here. honestly, like, yeah, I mean, I'm being dismissive. Like, of, of course I would play it and give it its fair shot and one would want to see what they're doing. But I mean, the thing that I do love about Half-Life is how guided that experience is and how that story is. Like, yeah. I love, like, I, that's, that's what I like about the Half-Life series and if anyone could make it work as like a procedural thing, it would be Valve. But like, like that, it's not what I want from Half Life. But you know, who knows? It could have been amazing, and maybe it would have totally changed my mind. I don't well, know. the good news is that it's dead, Kyle. Um, but Great. I mean, that back half of this thing, it even in interviews that they did outside of this final hours of Half Life, it seems like everybody at Valve is gearing up for the next big Half Life project. You know, they even had a quote there where they say. Uh, 
what is that? Yeah. We're Phil Coe over there said, we're not afraid of Half-Life no more. <laughs> Just a, a beautiful <laughs> summary for where they're at. Like everyone's like, we're ready to tackle the next big Half-Life project. Winky, That's winky. Uh, Leo, you played Half-Life Alex. You reviewed it for Game Informer. I reviewed it. I gave it a nine, which I believe was our average over there. <laughs> but <laughs> that's my current game of the year right now, Half-Life Alex. I love that. Really? What about Great. it? Uh, I I think the contributions it made to VR, just the sheer fun of the the flicking mechanic, the flicking and catching of picking up everything, it really made like every single encounter fun where you're pinned down behind cover looking around for stuff that like, you could like panically fling to you and use. It really made every encounter yeah. fun like that. And honestly, the places it goes, obviously any Half-Life fans know that they do a lot towards the end and that game did not disappoint. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, that, that flicking is something that if it's like, it's one of those things I will miss in comparable VR games in the future. If it's not in a shooter, I'll be like, ah, that's I miss that, you know? Just really it's, a, it's a really cool synthesis of everything that other developers have been putting in VR. Like even something as simple as like, you have like a small inventory where you can tuck things into your gloves. But if you want more items to carry, you literally have to hold on to them as you're moving through the environments. Like you have to be holding down a button to carry like extra med packs and like grenades if you want to hold on to them, which is a really cool thing to have in a game. And like the firefights in that game are also like very different from what you're used to in any other kind of shooter. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy to talk about how impactful that ending is overall, Leo, because that is another huge takeaway from this is the fact that the story was coming in very hot. They had a rough outline of what they were working with and then, you know, made the levels, made the game, and then they kept playtesting it and the story was always like the weakest component by far. So it got to the point of where they're like, okay, let's bring in Wolpa, let's bring back Jay, uh, let's get Sean Vanneman from the Firewatch Camposanto team and what, it's just a year or so before it shipped, like super late in the process. So like, okay, please rework what you're actually doing in this game. Um, and they changed a lot of things, added, was it Daryl? Is that that character's name? Yeah, the, uh, the Russell. Gonna... Russell, thank oh, you, yeah. yes. Uh, added him in there, removed other characters, removed villains. And even though they had all that then, they couldn't come up with like, what is the impactful thing at the end? What can we do with this ending uh, and then it was an artist in an elevator. And one of the writers was like complaining about like, we don't know what to do with the ending and make sure that's impactful and surprising. And this guy's like, oh, why don't you have it do this? I'm not going to spoil it here. You can look it up if you're curious. We recorded a max spoilers about it. And they're like, okay, yeah. And they pitched it to Gabe. He was on board with being that bold with the structure of Half-Life Alex, and they went for it. But just knowing cool. how fast and how hot that story was coming in is just mind-boggling. But it didn't feel too bad for you, Kyle. Like, going through the game doesn't feel like they're bolting some narrative onto these levels that are ready to go. Not in the slightest. That's awesome. Like, I can't imagine Russell not being an integral part of that game. That's, right. It's, it is surprising to hear. Yeah, and that ending, I mean, there's... There's like, you know, maybe that artist, maybe he's talking about like this, like two or three different specific things about the ending. Yeah. But like the major beats of it, again, feel crucial. Like they don't feel like chess pieces that could have been moved around really to me. They so knew. That's cool. That's yeah. impressive. So they knew like what the objective was from okay. early on. Like you're going for this and thing. And then they spoil it on the front of the app. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a little bit complicated. It's, you know, maybe we're past the point of limitations here. It's been a couple months. Um, but then, like, you know, yeah, the notifications Everyone's and stuff. played that game. Everyone's got VR. Everyone, That's a game that everyone's got a chance to play. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many more people... I want to know the numbers for the final hours of Half-Life Alex versus Half-Life Alex. 
because <laughs> everybody can read about this thing now. But um, but definitely check it out. There's a pl- uh, plenty of interesting details in there. Just a little stuff like uh, they were working on a VR headset uh, before the one they released, and it was called the Vader. So congratulations, Leo. Very cool. Thank you so much. Um, and then they're also working on a VR game. Uh, Mark Layla was before he left, like, you know, one of the lead writers of Half-Life that was all about the Borealis, Kyle. And that was like one of the early projects that then, you know, some of those ideas eventually filtered into Half-Life Alex in some way. Uh, Apparently they were working on some Minecraft-esque game called Project Arty that was then scrapped, but they have like a whole script that Eric Wolpaw wrote uh, about this Project Arty game in there and stuff like that. Um, And then they also mention that, oh, the Kerbal Space uh, program team that were brought into Valve, uh, they were working on a game called SimTrek, which was a VR game, but that thing uh, crumbled apparently. Um, but then they mentioned that there's another top secret project at Valve that a team has been working on since 2018 that we might mm. be hearing about soon, which is a very fascinating tease. So check that out. Uh, support that stuff overall. Oh, also, in 2013, they were working on a game that was codenamed RPG which was, uh, as they describe it, a game that combines Monster Hunter, Dark Souls, and Elder Scrolls. Which is, all right, well, I think the world would like to see Valve's take on that, so maybe someday they can resurrect that thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird one. Was Uh, was that another one that they said they canceled? Yeah. Great. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, and like, that's the interesting good. It was too good. We just had to scrap it. it. They have a nice section, too, talking about just, you know, what Valve has got wrong structurally over the years. And Robin Walker talks about that idea of anybody can work on whatever they want. It just splits everybody up into two different ways. And especially with an engine that's in development, everybody's then pulling that engine to try and support their project and nothing gets done. And so Robin Walker at some point is like, you know, the flaw that we made was telling everybody they could work on what they wanted to work on the most. What we needed to do was say, here is the big project. It's Half-Life Alex. It may not be the most exciting thing for you or what you really want to do every day, but shut up, let's do this. Because the communal vibe of like building something new and big makes up for that fact that it's, eh, this is only an 8 out of 10 compared to this 10 out of 10 project I was working on on the side, you know? But interesting chunks throughout that entire thing. Uh, Suriel Vasquez. Hello. I am so curious to know more about Paper Mario, the Origami King. Well, I can tell you about it. Please. Number <laughs> one. I, I, I do, do, do to uh, quote a certain person on this podcast, I heck him like that game. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's great to hear. It's great. Uh, so the reviews have been okay so far. You reviewed it for what? GameSpot? I reviewed it for GameSpot. I, g- I gave it an 8 out of 10, which is a, a very positive score. Uh, and yeah, I think that they, I mean, the most important thing is that they kind of turned the weakest aspect of that game into one of its strongest now, which I, I think the combat in that game is like the thing now. Uh, for me really okay so as somebody who loves the first two Paper Mario games a lot and is a simpleton and just was ready for turn-based combat the idea of revamping it into a puzzle system works for you yeah I, I really I think it's a really good uh, evolution of you know kind of the central conceit of the earlier games where it was like let's take these turn-based battles but kind of make them a little bit more active where you're timing your button presses to get more damage out of them and so what they do in this one is they turn it into this, this like circular grid uh, that is where you can rotate the rings around it. Uh, there's like four rings around Mario and you can also slide like columns basically like slices of a pizza uh, to move the enemies into either columns or squares which correspond to like your hammer and your jumps. So you jump in a line and hammer attack in a square. 
And so depending on the enemy, so like you don't want to jump on like enemies with spikes on their head. So you want to move those into a square so you can hammer them. And you can't, you don't want to hammer enemies that are flying uh, because you can't reach them. So you want to jump on those. And so when you encounter an enemy, they'll be kind of scrambled and they'll tell you like, you have two moves to align them in the way that like solves the combat puzzle. And so then you're kind of moving stuff around and jumping on them to kind of maximize the amount of damage you can do. And you can beat most encounters in one turn once you figure out like, okay, this is, I need to move this one to the left and I need to move these two. I need to slide these two so that they are aligned. And then now I can uh, kill them all basically in one turn. That sounds like a cute uh, thing for a couple of boss fights, but it can actually sustain throughout the entire game where you're doing puzzles I, on every combat. It did for me. Like the there, there are there are a lot of them, but it's it's it can be as simple as like oh like it, it early on it's definitely not super intensive. It's like oh I can I can immediately see like okay just turn this guy to the right and then slide them one down like and then I'm done and like and that that's the encounter. Um, and I, and, and they do that to kind of get you into the groove of, okay, let, let's just have you do a bunch of encounters. So you kind of are familiar with like the instincts that you need of like, okay, if this guy's kind of at a diagonal, I know the moves that I need to do to move them properly. And then later on, it definitely gets, um, to be like, okay, you need three steps and it, and the, the solution is not immediately apparent. Uh, so you need to kind of troubleshoot a lot. And the, the, the frustrating thing that, that I did point out was that there is like this timer that you can pay money to extend. But what I ended up doing, um, which like I found like really satisfying was to just like pause, pause the game, basically take a screenshot or something and then kind of just look at the encounter and just kind of try to solve it. Like it was Baba is you or something where it's just like, okay, I'm going to sit down and figure this out. Right. Uh, and some of the harder ones are definitely like, okay, I spent like a half an hour trying to figure out how to beat this one, like not super consequential encounter basically. Um, but if if that doesn't sound appealing to you, you can straight out like uh, there are multiple ways to circumvent it. So you can um, pay money, which is like your primary resource in this game. Again, they don't really give you experience for battles. So you stead- you pay money to toads that are watching your fight mm-hmm. and they'll like make the first move for you. Uh, so they're it's like, oh, if you can't figure out this combat encounter in three steps or two steps, you can just figure out like the one and two or or one basically depending on the difficulty and then later on you just straight up get a tool that's just like just move them here if you don't want if you don't want to deal with the combat they have like options in there that that just kind of make it a breeze and so that's that's the reason why in every preview piece of footage of that game there were like five thousand coins and everyone's like what is this is this another like item based combat system but no it's just you can pay these toads to make it easier if you want yeah so like money you use money to get upgrades so like you do like they're they don't have like straight up experience but there are a lot of like rpg like mechanics where you know by the you start the game i started the game with like 50 health and ended up with like about 200 so like you are getting stronger over the course of the game and you're unlocking kind of things that that can extend your timer and then that give you or your party members more attacks um and so you are using that money a lot. Like you, you get a lot of coins, but you also spend a lot, especially if you're trying to get a lot of hints. Um, and so like, I, I found that really rewarding. I totally get why, you know, some of the reviews have been like kind of not as strong on the combat because yeah. I do like, I do like the idea of like sitting down and just like, okay, for right now, this is a puzzle game. It's not like uh, an RPG. Um, but I like, I, I really enjoyed the aspect of like, there are, I have like a bunch of clips um of this game like probably more so than any other game i played on switch for sure of just like here's just me solving this puzzle and it doesn't look like anything fancy it's just like here's the encounter and then here's me moving three things and it's done 
but like I'm at, like almost as proud of those as like beating certain bosses in like Dark Souls games. <laughs> I'm just like, look, I stared at this for like so long, and I managed to figure it out on my own. I'm really proud of it. I, there's really no point in showing this to anybody because who cares? Yeah. Um, but I, like it matters to me, damn it. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that that to me feels so much better than than something like uh, Sticker Star or Color Splash, where I just felt like. I'm basically using up resources to get things that just kind of, fe- it was like the system that fed back into itself. Yeah. That kind of was like, well, what's the point of combat then? Right. Um, right. So I think here you can totally just kind of circumvent combat if you don't like it, but I found it really fun and I wanted to fight every encounter that I could. All right. I guess the core of what I want to know, and maybe the internet wants to know surreal is, is paper Mario back? Is, is this it? Can we get excited about so. this? Yeah, I, I like. I, I think you know, even the entries that weren't good combat-wise, I think still had these really strong through lines of like narratives and stuff. Uh, and like this game is like one of the most clever, funny games I've played in a really long time. Like there are just things in from like it uses like every aspect of how you interact with that world, as well as like really strong dialogue to tell a lot of like really funny jokes. Like there are just things there that are like, oh, that's really like things that range from like, oh, that's really clever in the way that like here are like three hidden blocks that kind of almost sell, tell like a very small joke that you're like, okay, that's clever <laughs> to right. think. Um, so like the way you just, like, I don't want to like spoil a lot sure, of jokes. Please don't, please don't. And like, there'll be just things that are like, um, there's a place where you get like a, a, sh- a giant shoe. That's a car and you drive around the desert in that, but there's a desert town where uh, they give you like a parking spot and you can just leave it wherever and they'll park it for you. But if you park it yourself, the shy guy that is like the valet will give you a couple coins because he's like, Hey, good job parking. And it's just like the, like these, like it's just filled with tons of these like clever touches uh, that are like, Oh, that's, that's a really neat, uh, clever thing. And there are also like really funny moments. Like there's a, a point where you're trying to get something out of a snippet. Um, and he's like, well, in order to do the, in order to, for me to give you the thing that you need or whatever, you're going to have to like, um, you know, answer my, my puzzle or whatever. And it ends up being like a, like a quiz show where it's like, uh, guess what face I'm making. <laughs> and it's like, it's a sniffet. So he's wearing a gas mask. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, and it's just like, here's like, like four options. And you're just kind of like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like I, he looks the same every time. <laughs> and there, and there are like, ch- like there's stuff like that. There's just a lot of really clever one-liners from toads. And like, there's just a lot of like a lot of really cool set pieces um, and like the boss fights are incredibly clever. Like they all have, they're all against either like these, uh, velumentals, which I learned was a pun between vellum, which is like a type of paper you use for origami, uh, and elemental. So like, it's like a, here's like a Phoenix that's made out of paper. Um, and uh, the other ones are like the things that you use to make origami. So like tape colored pencils, uh, yeah. you know, like uh, basically you can common household tools that the, the, the Ollie, who's the origami King is, has turned into these evil like beings. Um, and he's also like corrupted a bunch of like Kumas and stuff and turned them from flat papers to 3d origami objects that are like his minions. Of course. Um, so like the boss fights kind of, uh, invert the, the combat a little bit because instead of being in the center where you're lining things up, you're on the outside and you're trying to reach the center, which is the boss. And all of the every boss fight has its own kind of gimmick where you're trying to figure out, okay, there are these arrows on the floor that'll move me around the map. And I'm trying to get to like, okay, so I need to open this switch to get to this circle that is like the thing that's like, okay, here's the special attack you can do to finish it off when it's vulnerable. And so you're trying to move that. And there's also like hearts and like hints that you can get. And so you're lighting things up to move 
uh, towards the center or like wherever you need to go. And they'll introduce like these really cool gimmicks, like the the tape boss uh, will basically tape parts of the board together. So you can only like if you slide one of them, you'll slide both, or gotcha. if you rotate them, it'll rotate both. So all, all those boss fights. Um, are like the highlights of the game like they're they're really clever and really well done nice uh so like yeah just like all the combat stuff is is really cool there's like a ton of like really weird references um there's like a uh there's like surprisingly heartfelt moments later on where you're just like oh i didn't expect them to like kind of dip into this tone for a little while both like kind of kind of sad and kind of like a little bit of horror later on and it's it's like what you would expect out of like the the writing quality of that paper mario like intelligence systems team where it's just like this is really clever um and and just consistently funny and i just like there are multiple moments where i was just uh where they get really intense and i'm just like oh jesus christ like that i didn't expect you guys to go here it's like really it, it's funny but also kind of like jarring to for them to go into these really weird moments um okay the, the one thing that i i think is kind of suffers is is the the party members because uh you get a couple different party members but they're really limited like all they really do is because the focus is so much on let's move the rings around and slide things uh around like the sliding puzzles they really just kind of throw out an extra attack here and there um, oh. but also they're all like area specific so there's like uh if you leave like the world that you're in to go explore another one they're like oh i actually just want to do the thing here i'll i'll leave you to it so they're all really bespoke and so you don't really get a, a lot of time to bond with them so like the party members aren't as strong as like something like thousand year door or the original paper mario which i think had really like a really cool cast that's like here's a yoshi with like red hair or yeah. like here's a goomba with like who's like a uh, kind of like an archaeologist yes um, yeah so okay. like none of those have like are as clever as they were in past games but um so yeah overall I, I really like this game i think it's really cool and like the art the combat i thought was like one of the most clever rpgs combat systems i've seen in a while yeah i have two questions mm-hmm. number one and this can be very quick kyle will you play this game this year uh yes okay great uh I, question I number two it's coming in the mail on friday my god question number two Leo, what was up with that secret gigantic cup that you tried to secretly drink from? Thank I you, knew Brad, it was going to so. cause a scene, uh, so I tried to slink off. There's a little Marco Rubio moment, except with a novelty-sized <laughs> five-gallon bucket. This, I get grief about this wherever I go. It's my 64-ounce hunting mug. You can see it says a lot of hunting words on it. Mallard, for instance. Mallard. Uh-huh. Black duck, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, duck, call... <laughs> shells i fill it with water and it keeps me hydrated and i won't be crucified just, for it just hold it next to your face just for scale yeah be the good god be. it's the size I, of a man's head i feel like like that seems totally normal to me because my dad would have those all the time when i was growing up he would just have a bunch of those a mallard so, mug well no like a giant 64 ounce like thing that he would that we could just drink water out of uh, it's called a trough. Leo, right? as a fellow water drinker, you're valid. Okay, thank you, <laughs> yeah. man. My cat also. This is the only thing he will drink water out of. This is the what? only water he's interested in is my water. So we just ordered a second one for him to have, and hopefully that'll drink him. That's <laughs> so funny. Does it smell like the original? Hey, I'm, there's yeah. no judgment here, but if your cat's like bobbing for apples and your jug of water, does that stop you from drinking it? Do you like change the water, or you keep on drinking? No. We share everything. We're <laughs> we're soul bonded. Hey, Leo! Uh, hey. Last week, or I guess it was on Sunday, they had Ubisoft Forward. 
the big showcase, the E3-esque showcase from Ubisoft. Obviously, they officially launched Hyperscape, got that out of technical beta, all that fun stuff. Uh, but then they also showed off a little bit more of Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, and I know that you're very much looking forward to this game. Did you mm-hmm. watch that event? Do you have any evolving thoughts on Watch Dogs Legion? I was on a uh, long vacation on this long weekend yeah. behind us now with my girlfriend. Had a great time. Okay. A little Airbnb on the lake. We are both like, let's be totally, you know, unplugged, not checking our phones, turned off in the other side of the room, and it was super nice. But I said, on the drive up there, I said, on Sunday, they're probably going to show Watch Dogs Legion gameplay, and I will have to watch it. You monster. She said, that's okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, it looks cool. I, I can't believe how much they changed. Like, that delay seemed impactful it looks very different from last year how so i guess i didn't notice anything huge well just in the way that each character is now more of an archetype at least the ones they're showing off right so it's like oh we have the construction guy he shoots with the nail gun we saw the granny before but it seems like they're kind of leaning into more presets right and that's not always the case there are still exceptions but like in addition to just totally reworking the ui it's permadeath is now optional for instance okay so at least it's still optional like that's the exciting part to me is that idea of recruiting anybody having permadeath more so than this character is now more of a preset or more of an archetype or even more distinct and there's something kind of fun about just a huge mass of people and you can kind of impart your own personality on them more than the game could even project out right i the concern for me was like we did a video on this at Game Informer, one of the last things I did, which was very poetic because it's like my most anticipated game ever. But uh, seeing the archetypes we had to play with there, they start with a few characters, the spy, the construction worker, working from that and seeing the other gameplay where people also had those archetypes, it was like, okay, this might kind of live or die based on how many archetypes there really are. Like, right. is everybody going to have a different story if everybody is playing as this very powerful construction worker archetype? But the more gameplay I watch... People are scanning some very interesting characters. There, I saw a trait buried. May as well consider this a min-max exclusive because oh. it's not that nobody recruited this person, saw this trait anywhere else. But I saw one for a glimpse, for a fleeting moment. Flatulent. This character will fart at random times and alert enemies. Mm. It's a negative Game trait. Changer. That's Game changer. Really and imagine, I hope the, the rolling of these characters enables like a spy who does have this, this gun kata and this missile car, but is also flatulent, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> you, want, you want this game to be more in line with like a Streets of Rogue. You want that level of just absurdity, systemic mayhem. Yes, yeah, Streets of Rogue and this game are, take up a very similar place in my mind. I feel like Streets of Rogue is the early alpha I'm getting to play of <laughs> Watch Dogs Legion. Yeah, but the, the other thing that's test. different is they... Uh, got feedback last year on just something they said in interviews, which was to this popular question of, can you recruit enemies? Can you go to this base where you have to go in and kill all these Albion guards? Can you just recruit an Albion guard and then walk through unnoticed? And they were like, no, when you recruit people, they'll quit their jobs to join DedSec. And they come back this year and they say, people were kind of disappointed by that, which I was. I got it for sure. But now they have social stealth. So you get somebody with a job ranging from Albion guard to like paramedic and they can toggle to put on their work outfit and walk into restricted areas around Albion compounds or around hospitals. And if they don't get too close to anybody, they don't get noticed. Ooh, it's real hitman stuff. 
exceedingly. Very Hitman. Very exciting change. That's and very uh, Streets of Rogue. You can do that in Streets of Rogue. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and uh, the game's coming out October 29th, 2020, which yeah, shockingly close. They're beating Cyberpunk, which is what I was concerned about. I feel like people will be cyberpunked out as a genre after cyberpunk so good to get ahead of that yeah absolutely well they also showed uh, assassin's creed valhalla which is also beating cyberpunk but apparently just by two days because apparently assassin's creed valhalla is coming out november 17th which makes you question when are these new consoles coming is it going to be that week that ac and cyberpunk are releasing probably for one of them if they have their hot connections in line um did anybody watch the valhalla stuff I didn't watch the, <clears throat> excuse me, they had a 30-minute, like, gameplay after show yeah. kind of deal. I didn't watch that, but I watched the main Ubisoft presentation. Okay. Which was funny to watch it having just played so much Tsushima. I was like, oh, this looks, this feels familiar. <laughs> right, right, yeah, I bet. Uh, I was excited by the gameplay. It's one of those things where I think both this and Watch Dogs Legion, I think, looked a little bit rougher than I was expecting. Maybe, again, this is just coming off Last of Us. Everything looks a little bit rougher, um, but also very exciting conceptually. And so Valhalla, I'm still very excited about it. And I, would, I love that even in their presentation, they focused on what gamers really care about, which is like building up that settlement. The idea that the entire game is about building up your set- settlement and like watching the town evolve over time, like that seems so much fun. Yeah, that's everyone's favorite part for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still- and it's been a while since they really went all in on it, right? You've yeah. had like your ship in a few games, but... Right, uh-huh. yeah. So I'm looking forward to that game quite a bit. Um, and then they also revealed Far Cry 6, which it's starring the new default bad guy for everything. So that's nice. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito uh, from Breaking Bad. <laughs> He's a good default bad guy. It's true, Kyle. Sorry we're laughing because your voice sounds horrific. He's getting watchdogs hacked right now. <laughs> but hey, truth that oh, he's no. saying. No, but yeah, it seems like, you know, they brought him in and said, hey, just kind of be Gus from Breaking Bad here and be really cool and be a dictator now for this uh, island in the Caribbean called Yara. That is the setting for the next Far Cry, which is coming out yeah. February 18th, 2021. And then it's apparently going to be a lot about the relationship between this dictator and his kid. Who, Kyle? Do you know who voices that kid? Uh, no, I don't. It is the kid from Coco, the Pixar film. Oh. No, he had a real weird turn. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he was experimenting with the grenades yeah. a little bit too much. It, it was weird to see that because it, like, you know, obviously put up on Twitter, but it's like, it, it is set in like what is supposed to be kind of like this analog to Puerto Rico, which is sort of like the way that Far Cry 5 was sort of like an obvious analog to like, you know, Wyoming. Um, and it, it definitely was a thing where, yeah, they're just going to do the kind of like there. Here's a, a really cool exotic locale that we've kind of turned into a war zone. And, you know, like you get to explore like a new locale, but, you know, like we're going to we're going to play up a lot of the elements that you kind of remember from novels about, you know, like Latin culture. So I, I haven't like seen too much beyond like the trailer, but it definitely does seem like the, the, like as much as they kind of pitch this as we're going to tackle some serious topics. It just seems like here's this really pulpy thing. And yeah, this time it's going to be flavored from a different area of the world versus them actually trying to like, oh, what's like, what's a, the actual structure of like a, a dictatorship actually like? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of monologuing from like, here's this guy monologuing at you in first person and it looks really nice, but everyone's going to be like, here, I'm a stone cold killer. Do this thing for me. It feels like that they're really still following in that same formula from like that started with three. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Uh, looking forward to seeing more of that thing. Um, well, real, real quick. So yeah. the rumors were that the, the, the kid has a, a, a scar that's exactly like Voss's from R- Far Cry 3. Right. 
so everyone was like, oh, this must be young Voss, which is like an interesting idea. But then Ubisoft has come out and said, no, that's just a coincidence that he has a scar. Is that what happened? That's just, yeah, I, mean, I, I think the timeline wouldn't line up, is, I, I think is kind of where uh, they're at. Okay. I think it takes, it's a little more modern than like, oh, it's this place. It does, yeah, those two time frames don't line up. So I think it is just like a coincidence. Until the portal comes out, <gasps> the time travel portal. portal. I mean, companies do that all the time where people immediately guess the twist and they're like, no, and then it turns out it is. <laughs> so I, I mean, wouldn't be surprised that way either. A few weeks ago, Michael Mondo, who played Voss, yeah, he was in an interview or something. He said he just like was. I think he said something just like as bland as like, well, you know, Voss was a good character, and yeah, well, I don't know. Ubisoft has some some cool stuff in the works, and like that was like all he said. <laughs> and then like now months later, it's like, oh, this kid might be Voss. Like it's an interesting idea, but I don't know. I'm but yeah, I mean, the kid has like he's listening to like a iPhone in the trailer and stuff. But then they also have a lot of like 70s cars. Maybe that's just the cars on the island. So yeah, I don't I don't think that's going to actually Far Cry be a have a timeline? I mean, there's a Do we know when Far modern. Cry took place? I yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, they had cell phones and stuff cuz like the whole start of that game is that is like the the teenagers or whatever on vacation right. and like doing a lot of selfies and stuff. So that's right. true. Yeah. But could be future cell phones. <gasps> Yeah, it could or be like one of retro those, old cell phones. That's right, retro vacation for <laughs> yeah. all those young hot that, singles. That weird sort of quasi illusion that Far Cry Three had to the Assassin's Creed universe. Yeah, now they so, never followed up on that in any way. Like that was just like a uh, thing that was there for fun. But people were like, "What? What are these two universes connected somehow?" What was and the then, illusion? Yeah. I, I don't. I don't remember crates that had the Abstergo logo on it or something like that. <laughs> just hmm. throw it in there. Why the hell not? Well, at the same time, like learning more about the hyperscape lore. And how it's it's basically just Ready Player One and the Oasis is like okay we just built this amazing VR thing. That's one of those things of like okay they have a separate Ubisoft now has two fictional video game developers in their series like in their worlds overall. Like you think there's got to be some connection between those at some point? I'm sure they'll tie into it maybe for like season five of Hyperscape trying to get more eyeballs on it. Like hey. Assassin's Creed's taking over. Look out, world! Mm, I'm mystic <laughs> of you, given that game five. Seasons. I was gonna say, wow, season five, huh? I, Leo, you're a young, smart person. Do you have any sense of how Hyperscape's doing on on Twitch? <laughs> That's right, Ben. I uh, I don't know how well it's doing from a numbers perspective, but I think what it's doing is cool. I'd like to see it catch on. I've been yeah. playing that game a lot. Oh, really? You like it? Yeah, I think it's fun. It's almost quakey. It feels like you're running around gathering power-ups, but in a way that's more modernized and fair. I mean, my dismissiveness comes from a perspective of, like, Battle Royale is just super competitive right now. It is a tough genre to break into. And, I, and you know, I, I, what I, I played a few matches. We talked about it, I guess it was last week. Like, yeah. It does seem cool. Like, it, the shooting feels pretty good and everything, but who knows if it'll be enough. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, also, they uh, did not mention Gods and Monsters, whatever that game is called, at the Ubisoft Forward, which is kind of a bummer, but yeah. I guess they have so much stuff coming this year, they got to focus on that. But they did mention... They said there was another forward coming as well. So. Right. So that's just terminology we have to get used to, is look forward to the next Ubisoft Forward, everybody. It'll be it'll be something. Um, let's see. Other stuff. Jeff, did you check out that Tetris mobile app at all? Uh, yeah, I downloaded it because you, you, you had messaged like, Hey, play this dumb thing with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I immediately rage deleted it from my phone. Okay. Well, because that, okay. Because it, uh, they made the decision to just have like this obnoxious smarmy announcer 
just like in the background that you can't get rid of uh-huh. the entire time, like talking to you about how great Tetris is. Blah, 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 come play with this. And, and, and the whole time I was like, Jesus, just get me into a match. And then when I finally found the option to start a match, it started up like a 30 second ad or anything, something. I was like, all right, this, get this off my phone. And so I deleted it. Yeah, so that's... sorry. I, you, that's... Could, you could force me to re install it if you really want to play a match but that that's fine i just wanted you to experience it as well because it is uh it is a beautiful combo of let's take tetris and combine it with hq basically take tetris 99 and combine it with hq and they have that smarmy i think new zealand uh new zealander host um but it's not live which i think is a very reasonable approach at this point but it makes it lose a little bit of that magic right you want it to have that loose vibe but instead it's just kind of pre-recorded clips of him being like get ready for tetris and then you jump in there and play for a while but he's not reacting to anyone no no reaction anyone's tetris game maybe nice look at this loser yeah exactly i was expecting <laughs> a little bit more of that uh but i still think it's that fun idea of all right at the same time every day what six thirty central everybody stop and play tetris and see who can get the furthest like that's a really fun concept and even just they have multiple modes it's just called tetris as an app but then this mode is called tetris prime time but then they have tetris royale in there as well which is just so simple it's just like a simplified version of tetris 99 where you're just playing tetris and then they have a lobby of 100 people also playing tetris and they just have a number in the top right showing how many people are still left like that haven't failed out of tetris yet and even something as simple as that, turns out when the game's as good as Tetris, is so compelling just to see how far you can push it. You're not impacting each other's games. It's just like an endurance race where you're constantly looking at that number to see how far you can go. I love it, man. And yes, you have to sit through some stupid ads for Candy Crush and, and nonsense like that in there, but I still think it's a, it's a cool, weird thing released this year. A friend of mine won money. Really? Yeah, actually, there's a, a picture of their like PayPal receipt and everything. Like, they holy got God, it. yeah, get in there now. I mean, maybe the Apple crash and burn, or maybe it'll take off. But get in there now while people are maybe winning money. Like I saw somebody that followed Binmax on Twitter. Uh, he won like twenty five bucks already from it. And you know, I think I'm decent at mobile Tetris. I've been playing it for years in that crappy EA version. So I'm excited to keep playing this thing. Uh, Everyone, quit your job, please. Don't play Tetris. Yes, Leo taught us. It's not that hard. Downloading <laughs> yeah. it Wait, now. Is that, is, is that your? Is that what you're doing, Leo? You're doing the YouTube channel, you're doing MinMax, and you're playing Tetris. <laughs> Tetris is my fallback. Yeah, <laughs> fall block. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Jeffum, have you ever heard of this game called Don't Get Got? That's no. life. That's I mean, life. I heard it on the street. <laughs> right. Yeah. Naturally, that's where I used to play. But. Uh, I guess I would call it a tabletop game, but in this case, the table is a game called Life. Uh, but I played it this weekend. So what this is, thank you, Kyle. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so it's called don't get got, and it's just hundreds of little goals or challenges. And it's tough to know like the best environment to play this in, but we played it. We're like, you know, a small group of friends went out to like, uh, my lake place over the weekend. And it was like the perfect environment for that, where everyone's just sitting around drinking like extended period together. Right. And so it's just a series of little challenges. Everybody has six first one to complete three wins and so it's you know i had a real layup which was one of my challenges was challenges was get another player to give you a hug 
I was like, well, my girlfriend's playing, so this will be great. Uh, and it was just like the easiest thing in the world. And then you get to yell as your girlfriend hugs you. You just got got. Uh, <laughs> and then you get a point for that sucker. Um, or like another one was have somebody call your cell phone. Have another player call your cell phone. So I had to like pretend that I lost my cell phone and have somebody call it. So it just creates this very fun it's a very specific mood, but it's a little bit of that social deception idea. Everyone's just a little bit paranoid. Like, you know, it get be get to be the point of like, hey, could you put some sunscreen on my back? And everyone's like, wait a minute, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> and at any point you can ask, is this part of the game? And if you ask, is this part of the game? Then either, if it is, then you have to get rid of one of your goals and it's no longer on the table for you. And if it isn't, then that person that asked loses one of their goals. So it's this nice. weird tension all the time where you're trying to trick people into thinking things are part of the game when they're not. It was surprisingly fun if you are a fan of those social deception games and you want to just have like a fun paranoid retreat. Uh, it's the way to go. Mm, I love this, that. This, this feels like practice for people who serve people divorce papers where they're just like <laughs> trying to fool people. Yes. into like, oh, could you come here? Uh, yeah. Oh, you've been served. All right. Actually, that was one of them. This is part of a legal system. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you got me. You got got. Yeah, it is like that is the big thing is like trying to figure out, especially when you're going to this game blind, not knowing the parameters of the game. So trying to figure out like, could this possibly be something that's in the game? Like, but but the best part is the goals are so bizarre. Like one of them was point to something three times and have another player look at it. Which is like, who would ever even think of that? So like, you know, uh, producer Amy uh, from Min Snacks fame, she just, we're out like in this porch and she kept being like, look at that spider. Look at the size of that spider. And of course we're going to look at a spider three times. It's like, oh, you just got got. So she gets a point there. Um, mm. It is surprisingly fun overall. There was a hot debate because just to follow up on a MinFax discussion before me, it was a MinMax show discussion. We ended up getting that pinball uh machine out at the lake um which barely works but that's another which story Blake for told you not to <laughs> he, he begged me not to but i just couldn't resist and so we got this barely functioning pinball table um but then one of my goals was convince another player that something is voice activated and so like <laughs> i was with best friend ronnie from deepest i have obviously seven fame um and he was out there trying out the pinball table for the first time and he, he literally said like how do you how do you start it and I said, oh, it's actually voice activated. And because he's a good sport, he then just screamed at the pinball table, mission start. <laughs> I said, All right, well, that's a point for me. But then the hot debate was, it says convince another player. So I don't think technically it counted because they had to actually be deceived, not just playing along and yes, and it, you know? I don't know. You got to be careful. You got to mind your irony, I think, if, if it's in a game session. Right. I think right. that's on you. All right. On them. That's, that's fair. Um, so yeah, uh, check it out. It's called Don't Get Got, if that seems like something you and your friends would be into and you want to uh, destroy each other and argue a lot. That sounds super cool. And it reminds me of this Red Steel multiplayer mode I used to love called Killers. <laughs> what? Where you would get a call on your Wiimote. Everybody would put their Wiimote up to their ear in this four-player split-screen mode and it would say kill player two with grenades or something <laughs> like that and you'd have to achieve this little mission that was only for you and i thought it was the coolest idea in the world and Boof. this is like that in board game form and i'm gonna buy it yeah hey leo <laughs> now that you're a part of minmax we'd love to um stream some board games with you <laughs> what was the name of that game that was kind of like a D light that you recommended a while ago deck quest deck quest and we can play it on tabletop simulator yes okay uh jeff have you heard of deck quest Mm, maybe okay it's the one i'm thinking about how does it work again leo 
It's the simplest version of D&D imaginable. There is a combat system, but I, whenever I run a game, it's all about like using the cards to build maps and interesting locations and just kind of riffing out characters for them to be interacting with. And Tabletop Simulator is the perfect place to play it because you can save all these little figures into your chest from all these weird 3D models people have put in. So it's like, okay, here's a penguin town that they're arriving at. Let me just copy and paste this penguin a hundred times and pick them up on the table and make them talk and stuff. It is only the parts of D&D that I am interested in. (laughs) So I would describe it. Awesome. Yeah, we should definitely stream that at some point here. Love to. Great. Leo, do you know how this whole thing operates? Oh, from viewers like you? That's right. Patreon supporters like you. You are the people that uh, brought Leo on board, brought him in as a cohort, allowed us to create video essays on a regular basis that Leo promises will be F-U-N fun. <laughs> That's right. Sweet. Um, thank you so much, everybody that goes to patreon.com slash minmax to wins. Uh, you support us the $5 tier. You can unlock the podcast version of The Deepest Dive, our huge game club discussions. We just wrapped up the discussion for The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, one of our best. Uh, I feel very proud to say that at this point, yeah, it is absolutely the best, most thorough discussion about that game on the internet. So if you've been playing that and you want to hear a very in-depth discussion about the entire thing, including the part that I think a lot of spoiler casts miss out on, which I think is crucial and very fun of, you know, at the end of each segment, we would try and predict where the story was going. And in a Mm -hmm. game like that, I think that's going to be the really fun thing to look back on is how wrong we were at so many points throughout that discussion. And occasionally right, but but yeah, some some big whiffs in there. Yeah. And and also those moments like, they're never going to do this. And it's like, oh, okay, they did that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now it's pretty smart after all. Yeah. So please check that out. Or if you support us at any tier, you get access to the Discord and you can come and talk to us, talk to other members of the community. It's a wonderful place overall. Also, meant to plug this during the, the ghost discussion, but we should point out that because, because uh, Ghost of Tsushima has such an amazing photo mode, we are bringing back photo mode snap. A one-episode special on Ghost of Tsushima, all dedicated to this game. So two weeks from now, we'll have another episode of Photo Mode Snap where people can submit their screenshots from the game, even their moving screenshots with this game. It's a very funky thing. Um, And then we'll review it on the show. So look forward to that. We'll give more details in the future. Um, Also wanted to plug that this Friday, Mintracks, our music podcast hosted by Matt Helgeson, this Friday, uh, Matt Helgeson is going to be reviewing Dark Side of the Moon, which is just like one of those... Great things. I, I guess I would like to hear Matt Helgeson go on and talk about Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. That seems like something that I should know his thoughts on. And so I'm really looking forward to that episode overall. Uh, and then we have patron supporters like Beaten Down Brian. Uh, and he says, hey, if you're a fan of PlayStation content and in-depth reviews, then I'd encourage you to check out PlayStation Premiere. I'm sorry, PS Premiere, all one word, on YouTube. PS Premiere is a new channel ran by the community's James Smith and currently has reviews up for games like Resident Evil 3, Final Fantasy VII Remake, and has posted his thoughtful review on The Last of Us Part Two. Go check him out and drop him a sub. P.S. I'm hoping this plug may see, may see him reconsider his position when it comes to hugging Ben. Yeah, you know, he does what he wants to do. But P.S. Premiere, James Smith's YouTube channel. Thank you so much, Beaten Down Brian. See, Leo, our community is very sweet. And Beaten Down Brian supports us at a tier where he gets to plug something on the podcast, but he's using that opportunity to plug other members of the community's work. That's it's, why it's a community, Ben. That's what makes it a community, baby. We also have uh, support from Bambox overall. They say, all right, MinMaxers, orders for GamerBox number one closed July 15th, and we hope you didn't miss out as we we're able to have one of the rarest voice actors in all of gaming in that box. You'll have to watch some unboxing videos to see who. 
But we decided to let you guys be the first to hear the new franchises for box number two from Bambox. If you've never grabbed a Bambox before, well, we're not called the ultimate collector's experience for nothing. Your membership gets you a box that contains exclusive art, collector's pins, replica props, and of course, a celebrity autograph certified by Beckett. Gamer box number two will contain collectible items from Resident Evil, Battletoads, Final Fantasy VII, and more. The box also comes with a guaranteed signed Funko Pop. You can grab yours now at thebambox.com. Boxes start at $30 and are limited to just $2,500 each. By joining, you'll also become a member of our exclusive community full of geeks, gamers, and horror fanatics where there's always something going on. Because at BAM, we're more than just a box. And we can't wait to meet you. And as they always say, Leo, because at BAM... We're more than just a box. <laughs> you got it, baby. Thanks to Bambox. Also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit Overall for supporting MinMax in a big, bad way. They want you to know that they have the vinyl soundtrack to Outer Wilds for sale now. It Ooh. is uh, the Black Hole Vinyl, cloth-wrapped, tip-on gatefold jacket, uh, the music by Andrew Pralow. Please check that out. Album art by Ian Jacobson. It's a beautiful presentation for a great soundtrack overall. And if you decide to get it or anything else in the I Am 8-Bit store, you can use the promo code MINMAX to get 10% off. So please support them because they support us by giving something away every week for question of the week. I'm going to go grab their item right now. Uh, Leo, say something hilarious that just knocks us all on our butt. <laughs> uh, what? Why? How does a tree get on the internet? It leaves. It logs on. Hey man, there you go. That's why he's Leo. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, uh, this week, the winner of the question of the week will get the League of Legends Selected Orchestral Works, the League of Legends vinyl soundtrack from I Am 8-Bit and Riot Games. So thanks to I Am 8-Bit, we'll be cracking that sucker open, but not the copy that we ship out. It's a separate copy. Anyways, we're going to be reading all these comments and questions and words of wisdom left on the Patreon page every single week. We have a post up there. People can submit a comment there. Jeremy Clark. Submits a comment and says, hey guys, welcome Leo. Thank you. Since you're new here, let's just go ahead and ask the most important question of all time. What is your favorite video game? My favorite video game. God. I feel like I'll say Rainbow Six Siege. As much as I feel like I'm kind of in between favorite games of all time right now. Games that get me excited. I would have said Red Dead Redemption 2 a while ago, but now they've gone eight months without updating the online and it holds a sad space in my brain. Have, have you become a clown in that game to protest it? I should. I heard about that. Yeah. yeah Wait, cool. what is this? Everybody's Apparently dressing it. up as clowns to say we're, it's like they changed it on the subreddit to where it says, you know, 180,000 people are part of the subreddit now says 180,000 people are clowns and then the online people it's like 200 people are performing in the circus <laughs> perfect uh, so rockstar will update the game yeah they have been dead silent about updates on red dead online for again over half a year and it's been devastating Weird. that's bizarre i mean have they been messaging a lot of gta online stuff at this point is that maybe gta online is doing great getting plenty of updates but also much more successful. Yeah, that's outrageous. Well, I guess it gives everybody in the world that much more time to savor the single-player story, right? That's right. Uh, hey, Leo, just to let you in on this little secret. Um, Jeff, um, yeah, I know. What's his problem? I'll get there, Leo. Now well, that yeah. you're here. No. Yeah. Now that you're here, I'm filled with a new vigor <laughs> for going back and playing that game. Jeff, Good. Um, there is no universe where you're ever going to finish Red Dead 2. 
there's never going to be a Saturday afternoon where you say, you know what? Today's the day I start that game. And I just want you to admit it. I want you to finish it desperately, but we're going on what? What are you going to do when I finish it, Hanson? I'm going to say, Jeff, um, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Aren't you glad you finished that game story? <laughs> no, I want you to I want you to do something horrific that makes up for the years of embarrassment and shame that you've done to me. <laughs> hey, you did it to yourself. I would certainly argue by not finishing one of the best games of the generation. You can always argue with Death Stranding. Oh. It's available on PC this week, actually. Please, sir. We're trying to have a discussion here. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Leo has yeah, a yeah. point. Jeff, uh, if you finish Red Dead 2, Hanson has to finish Death Stranding. Naked while live streaming it to his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Who's playing Sekiro in the locked room. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm sorry it had to be this way, but there it, we go. Fair's fair. Uh, but yeah, where are you in, in Red Dead? Leo asked a while ago. Um, probably in kind of the opening area. The opening I, I played, area. I played like 40 hours, Leo, but I've just been going around. I've been hunting in the wilderness I've just been enjoying the world. I didn't want to do the story stuff yet. That's the best part. Will you play online with me at least? Yeah. Ooh, Great. We'll do it. Middle ground. A way to like dip his toe back in the water? Yeah. Oh, we'll dress clowns. Up as clowns. That sounds perfect. Um, okay, Antonio Laberty writes in and says, this is the A-team. Hello. Thank you, Antonio. Um, so excited that Leo is finally coming on board to make this show perfect. <laughs> well, I don't know if you heard this podcast so far, but it is the perfect podcast. Uh, now that he's here, can we talk? Oh, now that he's here, we can talk about him, right? Is he as genuinely sweet as he seems? Um, Leo, no. just ignore. Off mic. Yeah. Oh, he's a monster. His voice <laughs> drops like three octaves and he just never stops shouting. And I would say I belch more than I speak. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Antonio says, also, Leo, please keep doing Siege videos. I love them, and I love you all. Thank you, Antonio. Real love fest here. Uh, White Max writes in and says, hey, Leo and the other guys. Leo, what makes you so damn cool and the rest of those losers so damn lame? I could have said drool, but, you know, I won't. <laughs> It's been a lot of pressure, I'll say. The sheer kindness from the community since I've got brought on, it's like a lot to live up to. So I will say, because they drool. Okay. Smart. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you feel... I hate drooling. Do you feel cool? Have like people told you throughout your life like why you're so cool? <laughs> just like when you go to the bank they're just like oh yeah that uh just give me your credit card and uh why are you so cool god hansen you are a tough interviewer man no softballs <laughs> on here uh no i felt pretty well liked but people don't often ask me that like in high school were you like a cool guy no again well liked because i knew how to make different clicks like me but i was not like super popular i don't think right right i think it's just like you have like a a confidence about you i know inside it might be different but there's a certain comedic confidence that makes you automatically cool well thank you yeah jeff do you have thoughts on this <laughs> yeah and he's just so darn sweet <gasps> there it is he's uh, such a nice sweet guy He's like, he's like Kyle, you know, is also very, a nice, sweet guy. Right. So he's like Kyle, but he's also cool. Oh, right. That's what I was looking <laughs> for. He's that's like Kyle, good. but yeah. No, I mean, even the belching, I think it's like a kind and cool belching. Yeah. yeah it's a cool breeze across your face. 
<laughs> like uh, you can imagine that belching wearing sunglasses, you know? Hell yeah, I could get used to that. Uh, Victor Fam writes in and says, it's pretty obvious that Stadia, here's a transition, has had a rough start. <laughs> what should Stadia do to get people excited about it? Not uh, cost $600 this uh, holiday season. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, we're talking about Stadia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is that like if, if it won't cost $600 then people can use it as the alternative to playing games that are out at that oh. time without having to buy a new console. I think yeah. I think that is that secret thing of if they just pivot all of their marketing to, hey, look how good this version of Cyberpunk looks in the commercial, you know, maybe they can add some compression in there just to really make it accurate, but just convey the idea that you can play the best looking version of Cyberpunk uh, even though that version was delayed. But anyways, the point is, whenever that comes out, play this amazing looking version, just $60. Like, don't get all splashy with your pink and white explosions. And it's just, it's chaos with their advertising right now. I think they just need to focus it down to $60 and you can play a high-end PC version of Cyberpunk. That's going to be their most effective Also play. work. And work. <laughs> also uh, if you could download the games that'd be cool <laughs> yeah i know yeah. <laughs> think about it yeah that's complicated also if there was like a machine that you could buy that could just independently run the games oh yeah, yeah. uh hands i have a i have a you ready for a bombshell a little bomber I, I bought a stadia controller and the chromecast ultra because it they dropped it 30 bucks this week really so i'm getting one in the mail okay i why <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I um, I've been looking. I've because I played that one game on Stadia and was impressed. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know, I like. It. And then I'd been kind of looking at it, like the the because I played it on my laptop, and I was like, I would like to play this on a TV. The controller actually looks kind of cool. And then it was just that. Com- it was like me looking at it for a few weeks, and then when they had the Stadia Connect this week, and they w- they dropped it down to ninety nine dollars. And I was like, well, worst case scenario here, I have a Chromecast that I will just use to stream Netflix to this other TV in the house. So, right, right. So I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm excited to like try out the controller because it looks like a really solid controller. It's like a weird thing to be excited about, but I want to hold it in my hand and see how it feels. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, you weren't uh, salivating over Super Bomberman R online? Oh boy, they spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> so in the city connected, uh, they revealed no. like a new version of Super Bomberman R, which seems to be the Bomberman Battle Royale, which I've wanted for a long time. But I thought like, oh, the obvious thing you do is just make it the huge square. But instead, it's like a series of interconnected Bomberman size arenas. Where it's like, okay, that seems That's fine. Uh, and the wording is weird because it doesn't seem like it's exclusive. They just say, get it on Stadia. Well, I mean, isn't that... Has the Switch version have that mode in it? Like, maybe it got updated with that mode, and I just had no idea. I don't think so. Gosh, I I hope I would have known that. I think I'd keep up to date on my Bomberman news. If anyone would, it would have been you. I do love yeah. Bomberman. And that, that you get a Bomberman daily every day because you see what the latest <laughs> news is. There's one update every day, and it's there are no updates. Um, Leo, how many people do you think are in the Bomberman Reddit? Subscribe to the Bomberman Reddit here. As clowns. <laughs> <laughs> They're all clowns. 200,000. 200,000 Bomberman fans? Bomberman. Uh, (laughs) The actual number is 1.3 thousand. But number number one post right now (laughs) did some 16-bit pixel art for Bomberman's head, and it's... It's looking good. It's it deserves more cool. than those zero comments uh, left on it right now. <laughs> no one on the right now. Back. Let's give him a comment. 
Yeah. Uh, what else did they announce <laughs> in that? Uh, I'm busy, Kyle. Uh, what else did they announce in that Stadia Connect? Uh, Harmonix is making something. That's them. exciting. That is exciting. The thing, I mean, to answer the core question, the thing I want from Stadia are yeah. just interesting exclusives. If there is an interesting, even like somewhat interesting looking exclusive, if that Harmonix game comes to Stadia exclusively, I'll sign up for a month to I'm, try it. You know? Yeah, so that's, because your that's internet connection is so good. Sorry, Kyle, your internet's crapping oh, out man. again. I'm Anyways, uh, Fred DeNovo writes in and says, Howdy, y'all, and welcome aboard, Leo. Thank you. What is a detail you'd still like to know about next gen? Outside of a price, I'd love to know how long the battery is going to last on that DualSense controller. Can you imagine getting 20 hours? What a dream. <laughs> uh, yeah, keep dreaming, kid. Uh, but what's a detail you all would like to know about next gen at this point? Hmm. Are they using SSDs? Does anybody know? <laughs> I think that. <laughs> I th- hopefully they announce that soon. Yeah, yeah. they got to start talking about those SSDs. Uh, I would like to know if they're going to do another like pro version in like two years. Oh, yeah. that's a perfect question. So they should just they should just tell us that up front. Which would be a really smart. Yeah, it, it's idea. it's in their best interest to let you know to hold off on buying our console. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think I think the answer is yes. I can say pretty confidently, right? Like I don't know if it'll right. probably be more than two years, but I mean, PS4 Pro and Xbox One X did so well. Yeah. Nintendo has been doing that for like Ever. fifteen years already. You know, God, so. it makes you wonder. I mean, they've already used the X label out of the gate for the Xbox. You know, like that was the upgrade name. And then the rumors are that the smaller one's going to be called Xbox Series S. So they're going to have to come up with like a new dominant letter in the Xbox family. Uh, I think they'll just call it the new Xbox Series X. I think they're just going to go like full iPad naming scheme, right? Where it's like, or yeah, like the Series X 2022 or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. That's the last point. <laughs> yeah, that's not nearly as fun. Jeff, um, as somebody who doesn't have a PC, are you going to get a Series X? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm. I feel like I'm on board for PS5 just because you need it for all the exclusives, and I guess I'm still in that kind of camp of waiting to see what Xbox is going to offer that's going to make me feel like I need to do that. Yeah, because because it's not really a replacement for a PC. Right. I know. It's just that weird thing of you know the rest of us have gaming PCs, so I'm in the camp of I don't know why I would buy an Xbox at this point. Right. Yeah, and I I guess I'm still in that camp just because aside from, you know, the next Halo, what am I what am I running out to buy one of those for? Well, I mean, you could play that on your Xbox now as well. That's the confusing part. Is it is it coming out to Xbox yeah. One X too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> it's an odd strategy. Um Trace Levos asks, what's the best console name of all time? Probably Xbox Series X. Uh, <laughs> Trace says, the PlayStation's pretty darn good, but I've always loved the Dreamcast and the Atari Jaguar. You know, in retrospect, it is weird to call your console the Jaguar. I mean, I can't, I can't, the, it's funny, the one that came to mind, but now in retrospect, it's like, well, compared to Jaguar, like, I, I don't know, I've always liked the name GameCube. Yeah, then it's a cube. It's just fun. (laughs) It's a very funny, weird thing. Uh, And for some reason, (laughs) my mom is just lovely. 
and I have like a MAME machine out at the lake, you know? Um, and for some reason, I don't know why, she calls it the GameCube. She's like, hey, Ben, we moved your GameCube to the other side of the garage. And I was like, why? She has not heard the word GameCube. She doesn't know that it's a console realistically here, but just that's the word on the tip of her tongue. It's so silly to me. She thinks she invented that to describe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> your little GameCube. <laughs> um, I uh, think the, Dreamcast the one, is damn good too, yeah. The Dreamcast is good, yeah. Uh, the one that I would say within context is I, the Super Nintendo, just because as a follow-up to Nintendo, especially in like that 90s era, and being a kid, having having the idea of like, oh, this is a Super Nintendo, like it's so much more powerful. And But that's probably just mostly my 90s nostalgia. Right. Being a kid again. Uh, yeah. Super Xbox Series X. Ooh. Mm. 64. There you go. <laughs> Cube? Light. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> uh, Yaro writes in and says, Hey, Giant Bomb. Wait, wrong podcast. You little stinker. Uh, he says, Hello, MinMax friends. So recently, Sean Layden made the quote that he would, quote, welcome return of the 12 to 15 hour AAA game. In that vein, what game or game series would most benefit or would you like to see trim the fat? I would like to see the Far Cry 6 focus on a smaller scope and be more focused overall. I feel that the past few entries have been throwing quantity over quality at us. Yeah, it was Far Cry. That's a ton of franchises though, right? Like they've all kind of gone like towards the like, hey, let's just get our map and we're going to use these assets as much as possible so you're going to perform a bunch of tasks in the area we've designed. Right, right? but uh, Far Cry is an interesting example from Yara here because it, I mean, their DLC throughout the last five years has basically been that. Like, hey, here's a smaller little Far Cry experience for you to journey through, whether it's going back to Blood Dragon, but then even Far Cry 5 was that weird stuff on the moon, and or sorry, on Mars or in Vietnam. Like, that seems like what you'd be looking for here, Yaro. But um, yeah, other other big franchises you'd like to see trimmed down a little bit? I mean, Assassin's Creed, another Ubisoft game. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just so... I liked Odyssey. I played the first couple hours, but I just hit this point where I was like, I don't... This is so much here. Like, I, I'm just intimidated by this. I don't know if I'm ready to commit, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of those big RPG-focused games, I know this is sacrilegious, but I would really love to play a 20-hour version of Persona 5. <laughs> if there's any way yeah. that can be whittled down, I'd love to experience that um, and not it, just it feel... It is unapproachably long. It's like, okay, I'll just never play it at its current length. Right. I, I know how good it is. I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think like for me, it'd be a, a lot of different games. I think are probably a little too long and kind of uh, a little lower stuff. So I, I would, I would across the board cuts. I think too too length. I think uh, for the sake of like, let's have less like kind of menial side quests and more kind of distilled down uh, side quests. I think would work a lot better. Yeah, it was an interesting interview overall with Sean Layden. God, I forget if it was GameIndustry.biz who did this interview overall, but he recently left Sony, and you know he seemed to be shooting a flare into the sky with this interview being like, this is not sustainable in the game industry. Like the amount that we're spending on these huge games to pack in this much content uh, is not going to be sustainable moving into the next generation. And as somebody at the head of Sony who has funded some help to fund some amazing games this generation, it seems like the type of games that a lot of people want of just single player, huge story focused games from Sony. It's alarming that the man behind the curtain steps out from behind the curtain and says, sweet Jesus, don't do this. It's not going to work for much longer. Um, so that, that beard that he grew helped with that, I think. Yeah, it's a lot of wisdom in him now. Uh, 
yeah so i'm curious all my to see. wisdom down here yeah uh so yeah i would love to see games get a little bit smaller in the future maybe that's sacrilegious but you know we just did the deepest dive on the last of us and that's a game that i loved at the same, it's it feels a little bit too big uh and not even at yeah. you know in certain areas either it's just like just tighten the whole thing up a little bit i think it'd be all right um connor writes in and says, I'm sorry, by that I mean Peacock writes in Leo and says, Leo, I'm excited to hear from you again. Hello, Connor. Thank you. No, this is Peacock. Peacock. I told you streaming? to talk to Connor. Yeah, um, the NBC streaming service writes in and says, <laughs> that, <yeah>. that NBC <laughs> streaming Watch service. Watch the office. <laughs> on my little Comcast box, Peacock is completely free and it's got shows I want to watch on it, but it's like, okay, just give us your email and you can start watching. And I'm like, I'm not quite going to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Little pushy. Yeah, it's a truly free. I don't give my email out to just anybody at this point. Mm-mm. Well, Peacock's getting back at you by asking, have you played The Last of Us Part Two, and do you have any non-spoiler thoughts? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, crazy about it. I finally really? beat it. Yeah, I... It does some cool stuff, but I think it is hurt by its length a little bit. Uh, but it's hard to go into that without spoiling anything. Yeah. But yeah, I'll say the combat was like a little too similar to the first one for me, which I liked at the time, but was hoping they would expand on a bit more. And to have it not really expanded on and have five times as much of it kind of rubbed me raw towards the end. Hmm. So I know you're excited about like going prone and them focusing on the stuff a little bit more. I mean, did you play it on a harder difficulty? Do you feel like you were able to soak in that stealth a little bit? Yeah, I played it on hard. I might have played it on uh, the harder one, but I was playing it with my girlfriend. I didn't want to have her sit through those grounded encounters. But by the end, I put it on very easy and just ran through everything because I was really kind of over it. Oh, wow. And it's mainly the length. Mainly the length. I think there's a cool story in there, but the fact it's so long kind of hurts some of the stuff it was going for. But again, yeah. Hard to talk around. Do you realize you're just mad that it didn't have multiplayer? If we want to get to oh, absolutely, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blind rage. I was playing the whole game in bad faith. <laughs> <laughs> this, there, <laughs> these should be other people. <laughs> the crazy they thing had names that wasn't enough for you. Not the same. They should have been calling out a oh, rage gamer sixty five. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> no, XX gamer XX. The crazy thing about like bringing Leo on as a cohort is like, oh, now when we do our game of the year discussion, not that Last of Us Two is sinking, but like a little bit of a ding in Last of Us Two odds for game of the year because Leo's going to be sandbagging that sucker hard. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly hates it. Yeah, unbelievable. It's going to be weird. Um. Oh, by the way, Leo, what are your thoughts on Final Fantasy VII remake? Oh, I never played it. Great. Keep it that way. Uh, Connor writes in <laughs> and says, either, what's that? Worst game I ever didn't play. No <laughs> chance. <laughs> game of the year. Anyways, this Connor guy writes in and he says, question for you. With Ghost of Tsushima releasing this week, it got me thinking about how video game culture almost demands that we play every new release. For example, I'm not particularly excited for Tsushima. It seems like a great time. It doesn't seem like what I want out of a game right now. However, knowing that the various gaming sites, podcasts, whatever I follow will be talking about this game very heavily for the next few weeks, it makes me feel like I need to play it to stay current with the gaming discourse. Obviously, this is a little silly, and I shouldn't force myself to play a game I might not love, but I was curious if y'all ever felt like this. Does your interest and need to be able to tune into games, media, conversations surrounding a game ever outweigh your actual desire to play said game? Thanks, and welcome to the show, Leo. Thank you. 
Do you uh, yeah, that me a, a good bit. Yeah, I definitely will overstay where I would be in a game normally just to be more educated on it. Is that do you think that's for consumption of video game media or that's just for I'm probably going to have to weigh in on this game at some point on a podcast or have some thoughts about it just to stay current on the industry? I'm probably going to have to weigh in usually. I, I Last year, I very intentionally was like from the start of the year. I was like, I want to try all these games so I'm more educated for the game of the year discussion at the end. Like, yeah. I really regretted not being able to chime in on so many games the previous year. And I feel like I mostly achieved that. But it is a lot of time. And it is very conscious of like, I wouldn't be playing this if I didn't want to be a part of a conversation about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's a matter of like, you know, I don't mind. There was a whole stretch where I just listened to one-ups podcast and didn't play too many games myself during college or like new games and like that was fine i don't mind the idea of not having my own impressions to you know counterbalance listening to media impressions about something i kind of like kind of staying in the dark like that um but i think it's just now it's just this driving curiosity about knowing directions the industry is going and trying to sample as much as possible so yeah i will play hundreds of of games you know for the typical you know 30 minute experience so just to get some sense right. of, of where the industry is at and I, I don't think I'll ever be able to shake myself out of that hmm. we're all stuck is what I'm trying to convey <laughs> I mean yeah I, I feel the same like I even it's it's interesting yeah because even before Game Informer when I was like my goal was to like I want to write about games part of that was me just trying to play everything so that I could pitch articles and stuff like that you know right right uh Mexi Flores writes in and says, I listen to other podcasts like IGN. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, and I heard recently that they're having a deepest dive like show for the last of us part two with voice actors and other people that were involved in the development of the game. I thought to myself, wait a minute, they're ripping you off. Ha ha ha. JK. I don't know what that is. Does anybody know what that is? This IGN. Ah, uh, JK. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I mean there's the last of us podcasts like, from the official PlayStation feed. Yeah, but they make it seem like IGN's doing kind of like a game club thing, but with the devs? I'm very curious to learn what they're doing uh, over there, but uh, whatever. Um, ours is better, even though they have the developers. Um, so Bishop Flores says, my question is where or how do you come up with new shows? Do you look at other shows and tell yourself, hey, I can do it better? Or is it I want to come up with an original idea? Uh, I guess for like MinMax overall here, it's a lot of original ideas. I'm trying to think of examples of where I thought like, oh, we could do it better. For like the game clubs, that goes back to One Up's old game clubs that they did on One Up FM, the old podcast. Um, I don't think I thought that I could do it better, um, but it's just a, when that went away, then I was like, oh, we should bring that back in some way uh, at Game Informer and involve community comments, which I don't believe they did back for those old game clubs. Um, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I, I think usually like for me ideas are less about like I want to come up with an original idea right now and more like you just randomly think something of like oh you know what it'd be cool if something like this were to happen and then you kind of the, start slowly building the it. way right. that it starts is someone makes a pun like min snacks and then we yes. say hey we should make cereal do that show just mm-hmm. for fun and then it becomes an actual thing that uh-huh. he has to do a little fun yeah. prank that's right. <laughs> that we poured a lot of time into. Wait, are you telling me this whole thing where the show was uh, put on hiatus because of a global pandemic? That was just a whole prank? Gotcha. You just got got, ah, Surreal. You got got. Global pandemic was my card. Thinking the world is under quarantine. That's right, you idiot. Uh, four months. 
Uh, Hunter S. Sachs says, Hello, friends. Hey, we have a Leo Vader, and I've heard that Leo wants to do some video essay style videos. That sounds awesome. I'm glad we hit that tier. Go team. <laughs> Leo, what are the topics or games you're excited to do a video on? P.S. Shout out to Leo's YouTube channel and his ADD lifestyle video on his own channel. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to do weird stuff. Weird like stuff. Like focusing on not just the newest games. I think there's a lot of proven success on YouTube of like, here's a weird retrospective on this game from 10 years ago that you haven't been thinking about, but you see this title and this thumbnail and you say, oh, I would watch that. That's the kind of stuff I want to make. <laughs> It's a little more surprising, a little less like take the newest game and build something SEO friendly out of it. Right, right. A little less getting on that treadmill. That's the weird thing that like, you know, I think you can help us kind of adapt a little bit, but it is, MinMax is kind of in this weird balancing act of like, oh, do we try and sprint to be more cutting edge and kind of get back into that rad race of, oh, we can do previews, we can do reviews, all this stuff. It's like, or do we just create really unique content that can stand on its own a little more timeless? And I think that's a safer bet. Uh, you know, for the company overall and probably for our mental health overall as well. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how you kind of shake that up and kind of expand our horizons there, Leo. Yeah, and honestly, suggest stuff in the Discord. Yeah. You think it'd be a fun video. I will, if you add me, I will read it. This is my promise to you. Wow. All right. <laughs> be careful because you're going to have a lot of stuff like this. Like Ben Gordon, who says, very happy to have Leo on, but he has to answer the questions all Min fans must answer. Min fans, I don't think I've heard that. Um, okay, here, here are your, your quizzes. Is Shadow of the Colossus a 3D platformer? Yes. That's insane. <laughs> I love every member of the Min Max community, but if you believe that, I don't <laughs> love you. Um, <laughs> pineapple on pizza, Leo? Uh, not for me. But are you judging? That's a political no. answer. Okay, all right. And have I you... My have, girlfriend likes it, guys. Oh, here we go. Have <laughs> a little you Romeo and Juliet situation? <laughs> That's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, have you seen the timeless classic film Mac and Me? I've seen that scene from it, but not <laughs> the, the whole scene. Film. Okay. Yeah. All right. There it is, community. Absorb that how you will. Shane Carley writes in and says, "Hey, Leo. Hey. What is the worst?" <laughs> Star Wars related joke someone has made about your last name and when did Hanson say it? <laughs> How dare you? This this assumes that anybody thinks of a different joke than the one joke, which is is your is your son named Darth or whatever? <laughs> or some I guess some variation of that, but I consider it the same joke. Or like is your dad Darth? Is is it has anybody ever been clever? Have you ever been surprised by somebody commenting on the Vader name? no <laughs> never I, I honestly sometimes people what happens more often honestly people don't make jokes about it that often to me anymore what happens more often is people say oh that's cool and i say thank you and yeah. that's a perfectly pleasant interaction doesn't bother me at all right compared to jeff when he says his last name and people just spit in his eyes what it's horrifying <laughs> uh nick olson right and says hey leo Hey. Uh, when can we expect the return of E3 Kings? Or perhaps it's the new incarnation, <laughs> otherwise known as Little Summer Game Fest Boy. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, when can you expect the return of E3 Kings? Probably around E3. I would guess. <laughs> but right. I would love to do something like that with you guys. That'd be fun. Uh, Thomas Derenick says, just wanted to say welcome to the show, Leo Vader. Thanks. <laughs> 
I'm really excited to have you become a part of the MinMax crew. So thank you for jumping on board. No question. Just a thanks. Um, okay, let's let's get back to it here. Uh, RJ writes in and says, Hey, Ben and the crew, in 2020, do you think playing video games is still taboo? Has mobile gaming and esports changed this mentality? What are your thoughts? At least for me, it has not much changed, but I work in the financial services for private and public sectors. So I don't really meet much gamers unless it's FIFA, Madden, or NBA 2K. P.S. Welcome, Leo Vader. Um, is playing video games still a little bit of a social taboo, do you think? I think yes. I think it is, un- but unrightfully so. Because even even my wife will say like that she's not a gamer, but then she will play those mobile games longer than I play anything myself. Really? Yeah. And like, you know, my mom plays like word games on her phone and things. I think the smartphone has completely changed the landscape, but there's still the people who are now playing games still aren't thinking of themselves as someone who likes video games. Yes. I think there's still that cultural idea of video games are dumb and we should look down on them, but that's still disconnected from the reality of even the people who have that cultural impression of their, in their head where it's like, Oh yeah, culturally we're supposed to look down at video games, but yeah, of course. I mean, I love playing games on my phone or I, I loved Apple II as a kid or something like everybody loves video games at this point, but those two aren't quite aligned yet. And I think there are those bad stories that make their way out of the gaming circles and into the broader consciousness of like petitions against diversity in games or whatever. I think that kind of stuff changes why they're taboo compared to why they used to be but now it's a different thing Mm. of like i kind of don't want to be associated with them i I think it also there's also like the games have gotten so big that people can sort of diverse like there's like the the what the the number of games that there are and the people who play them versus like the gaming culture right because you know i watch movies but i'm not like reading deadline or you know variety or whatever and following like oh this person signed on to do this like i don't follow movie news at all but i watch movies so i wouldn't necessarily consider myself like a huge like movie buff but Mm -hmm. i watch movies and i think that's sort of where those people are coming from is like i don't really follow gaming because i know there's a culture behind it but i play i play games or whatever yeah sure uh andrew holmes wants to know what jobs did y'all have before you're at game informer how did you make rent before game informer jeff what is your job history um i i guess the most interesting one was that uh, I I walked dogs at a veterinary clinic. What? I had no like, idea. Like I was I was the the night guy who would go there and let all the dogs out and and mostly just play with them for a couple minutes each, which was super cool. That's weird. And but you I don't have a dog this, now. No. But you were into walking dogs. Well, yeah. I mean, and so. My dad was a veterinarian growing up and he would, he would actually, it, it was actually my uncle's veterinary practice and my dad would work there. Sometimes he would do surgeries there and stuff. So it was a nepotism kind of family thing. Gotcha. Um, But I, I always grew up with lots of dogs and, you know, (laughs) pets in general and whatnot. And so I'm at it. It's a very strange point in my life where I don't have that daily interaction with dogs weird uh cameron logan just to jump the gun a little bit wrote in asking if our parents were pushing us to pursue something outside of journalism was was your dad trying to push you to become a vet 
No, yeah, I like that. I like that uh, question when I saw it because I'm neither of my parents, somewhat to my detriment, I think, never really pushed me in a direction. I went. I was an English major, and looking back on that, I feel like I could have used someone to say, "Hey, what are you going to actually do with this degree when you graduate?" But they they were just kind of very open ended, you know, like study what you're interested in and pursue whatever you want. And so we don't yeah, care. Yeah. And so, and so my dad was a veterinary, my mom was a nurse. So they both had very sciencey backgrounds and my brother went to school for art and my sister went for interior design. So they got a bunch of no good creatives. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you now. Look who's laughing now. Surreal. Yep. Uh, <laughs> what did you do before Game Informer? Uh, it's mostly like service industry jobs, like a lot of, uh, I worked at a zoo where it was just like a concession stand and I worked, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. How do I not know these things? A concession stand at a zoo? Yeah. I have I not talked about this. I, I feel like, like I've, t- I told the story of the time I, about this on the Minmax show before. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I did, have I not told the story about how one time I came in super early and then my manager abandoned me cause she was like, Oh, the sea lion's about to go give birth. And so I was just alone in the concession stand for hours while she helped deliver the sea lion. <laughs> and then you sold the sea lion baby and somebody ate it? Yeah, but I, that was like my oopsie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Fail. such a weird one. <laughs> uh, no, I, and then I worked at, like, I worked in my internship, which was actually paid, uh, was at a legal firm where I would just, like, translate legal documents into Spanish, basically, for pretty low pay and then i worked at like a business to business marketing firm where all i really did was like ghostwrite blog entries for like ceos and just kind of said well but it was all like about video interviewing and stuff like that where it's like hey here's this article that's like related to like here's why video interviewing is the future and you should check out our video interviewing product or whatever so i would just write like five of those like really short blog entries a day and just do a bunch of like weird website projects and stuff like that. And uh, it, it, it was not great. <laughs> did you, um, since you had that translating job, did you ever think about getting into like uh, English to Spanish or vice versa game localization? Uh, I didn't really think of it. I always felt like if I wanted to do something like that, that it would be like Japanese to English. I, I never really for some reason thought about like, oh, the, I don't know how many games I've played in Spanish, you know, until like the 360 era and I played like Gears of War in Spanish for a little while. Right. Um, so I never really thought of it as a job thing. And then at some point I, I applied and got like a, a job writing subtitles for like movies and stuff. But then they just completely ghosted me after I got hired. They were like, hey, you're hired. You're start on Monday. And then they're like, be here in this uh, Skype hall. And then they just never showed up and never contacted me again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are you still uh, employed by them, Surreal? I guess technically, I haven't said I'm fired. Uh, <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, and they're like, they're like, hey, do the subtitle writing test or whatever, and I ended up like, I ended up doing okay on it of like, you know, in terms of speed and time, but like the job would have just been watching like, you know, movies like you would on Netflix and just little by little writing out all the subtitle, like everything they say. That's so weird, and I know that if it's like live TV, they use the court stenographer weird keyboard to do subtitles but imagine this would be the slow no that's that. a, this would just be a regular keyboard yeah i remember learning that was one of those interesting things i learned while doing jury duty is like after we did the whole thing it was like a whole week and it was, it was a long process uh then at the end it was awesome the judge is like 
hey, does anybody on the jury have any questions about how this whole thing works? And I was like, oh my God, yes. I've been dying all week to ask everything. So I just got to go up and like talk to the sonographer about how that keyboard works. And she said that like they go to the same school, like you go to that school to learn that funky keyboard. Uh, and then you can either go into like uh, being a courtroom sonographer or working on subtitles for live TV. That's like the weird two-way split in that school. It's like, what a cool industry. I got to get into this world. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, let's see. There's a lot of things. I like streamed classes from the University of Minnesota, like higher level mechanical engineering and electrical engineering classes. And then I worked for a nonprofit consulting nonprofit, <laughs> which is confusing, but I did uh, a lot of interviews around the cities there for that and, and film stuff. Um, and then I was at a, a TV station for a while there as well, like a community TV station in Roseville, Minnesota, and then went to Game Informer after that. Kyle? Uh, mainly GameStop retail. I was an assistant manager there all through college and stuff like that, but there was a stint between that and Game Informer where I worked for like five different little local newspapers and I would just manage all their websites. I wasn't writing anything. I wasn't oh. creating content other than me being like, hey, do you guys mind if I just post some stuff about video games? And they're like, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. But uh, <laughs> I would just basically take articles from the writers and put them on these like small websites. That was basically my my day-to-day. That's the type of, type of like nice job that I feel like you could really spin in job interviews, though, to be like, I have multimedia journalism experience yeah. something something i mean i was like doing little video things and like all the social media for all that stuff and also it they the secret to that job was uh did not take very much time at all so i just pretty much spent all my time working on freelance video game writing and i looked very busy smart <laughs> man that's really smart leo what is your crazy path uh, my first job was at a retirement home when I was 17 in the the restaurant area. All my jobs before Game Informer were restaurant related. But it was a really good starting job for a teenager. There are only like two dishes there, so you don't have to remember that much. <laughs> you know, two dishes per night. And it's all the same regulars, right? <laughs> like you just serve the same people every day. Yeah, what so are you going like, to do? Oh, I'm just waiting on people I have a friendly relationship with. It was really a nice job. Yeah, they can't complain. Did, did Where they, they all go? love you? They like William? me, yeah. Yeah. Did they they like my core? <laughs> Kai and I made the same joke about how they would ask you if you were cool. Yeah, well, they knew. But you should credit me for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they liked my beard, and then we got a new manager, and he was like, you should probably shave your beard. It's kind of unkempt for, you know, this environment. And then I walked out. Yeah, <laughs> baby. And now for the audio listeners, his beard is down to his toes. No stopping this train he, he's on. He's somehow flexing his beard. <laughs> I'm forming it into two biceps. <laughs> uh, I then my I had another restaurant job that I hated and quit, and then I had worked at Ruth's Chris up until working at Game Informer. So three years at each of those jobs, pretty much. Ruth's Chris was easy enough, fun to like write during slow day shifts, just write stuff for my YouTube channel I was doing at the time. But God, that's a stressful job. Yeah. In, in, a, in a busy restaurant, it just feels like what you're doing is the most important high stakes thing in the world. And it is like not healthy to be in every weekend. And just in case it's the first time you've heard it. Yes. The name of that restaurant is Ruth's Chris. It's the grossest combo of sounds you can put in your mouth. But I know that Leo's very used to it. But I just need to acknowledge that you're, you're correct to wince at hearing the name Ruth's Chris. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you the story of why it's called that? That was something we all had to know and everybody would ask us about all the time. Yeah. 
So Chris's Steakhouse down in Louisiana, a fixture, a staple. Ruth bought it. Ruth Fertel, our noble founder. You'll find her image imprinted in stained glass above the host desk. The hell, Bioshock? She kept it as Chris Steakhouse, but when it burned down and she moved locations, there was some legal reason she had to change the name. And so she wanted to keep the local recognizability of Chris Steakhouse and changed it to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And therefore, the biggest mistake in (laughs) corporate America was made. (laughs) (laughs) Well, best of luck to him. Um, Tim Laro writes in and says, can any of you bake? If not, do you at least enjoy baked goods? I'm staying with my in-laws at the moment, and I've become a glutton for brownies. So if anybody wants Mm -hmm. to send Tim Laro some brownies, apparently it's welcome. I bake a fair bit. Both my wife and I bake quite a bit. What's the fanciest thing you baked? Hmm. I made like I tried to make homemade donuts the other day. They didn't come out very well. A lot of banana bread experiments and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, it's not banana bread, but just freaky experiments involving banana bread. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he does. You know, nuclear does. stuff, stuff like yeah. that. Oh, cool, man! I heard that's great. I uh, watch a good bit of the Great British Baking Show, but I think mm. that makes you worse at baking because they call everything the opposite of what it is over there. <laughs> Every single time they say a name of a baked good, it's like, oh, at least I know what that one is. A cupcake? Great. And then they'll bring it out. And it's just like some brown disc. This is all meat. <laughs> what are they? Yeah. It, is, it, is, it never ceases to surprise, but it's like, that's what they call that? <laughs> <laughs> they just call it something else. Everything, every baked good is like soccer, essentially. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff, I'm your yeah. fancy guy. I assume you know how to bake. Uh, I've done some bread and the, the best thing that you can make the easiest thing is biscotti. If you want to do, if oh. you want to do like a dessert thing, it's yeah, very, very easy to make. Perfect. Uh, not healthy in the slightest. That's but. fine. Uh, Kevin Frey writes in and says, hello, Min Max and welcome Leo. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What is the strangest game you remember from your youth? For me, it's whiplash for the PS2. You, pl- you play as a weasel named Spanx who is chained to a rabbit named Redmond as they try to break out of the facility where they're being experimented on. It's a weird B game from the PS2 era. Uh, of course we know Whiplash on PS2. We're huge fans. Yeah, that and like Dr. Muto. I feel yeah. like go hand in hand. Oh yeah, that, that cover art just screams that generation. Uh, strangest game you remember from your youth? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I had a lot of Mac shareware games. Right. I was famously a Mac gamer in my youth. There was this game called The Quest of Yipe. Yipe 1 through 3. If anybody recognizes that, shouts out. <laughs> but it was like for it was on floppy disk and you'd play it on like an old Apple II LE, I think it was, which we got at a garage sale because me and my sister quote unquote shared a computer, which meant that she had a computer and I read books a lot, uh-huh. but I had the opportunity to play whatever crappy old games would work on that Apple II LE and under the stairs. No, I couldn't. Quest of Yipe, Yipe 3 specifically, big one for me. Quest of It was just like a top-down RPG, super, super simple, but huh. I had. I never heard of it. Yeah, mine also goes back to uh, Apple gaming because, you know, it's just playing a lot of pretty bad games on the Apple II. That was a majority of my youth was just popping these things in, not understanding them and moving on. Um, but I was trying to think of like the weirdest ones. It may, maybe not the weirdest, but there's a game that I think they also ported to the NES called Muppet Adventure Chaos at the Carnival that I've, 
I've put more time into Muppet Adventure Case at the Carnival than I have The Witcher 3 by, by a mile. <laughs> I mean, this thing was captivating. It was just like a weird series of bad mini games, I guess. It was like, oh, you're Kermit, and you're like going down the river, and you have to dodge stuff. Or like, I think there's some like face-matching game as well. So, you know, bad old games like that. Uh, Colton H. writes in and says, what are some things you miss about being a kid? What is something that you don't miss at all as well? Tough. I barely I, remember being a kid. I <laughs> Lack of responsibility, much, I guess. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I pretty much miss everything about the 80s and 90s at this point, where it was just like when when like me and my brother would exit the house, like the world just became an adventure because you didn't have a smartphone on you that your parents could get a hold of you at any point. Like at that point, the afternoon was just yours and we would run around the neighborhood, which kids aren't allowed to do anymore. Here we go. Old man, Jeff. Here we go. Stuff like that. Well, back in my day, we didn't have any viruses. (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the thing I missed the most is like the cycle, the, the structured cycle of school and like, just having that build up to be like, oh my God, it's almost June. Oh my God. And we're free. And then you can just go nuts. I think it was just, yeah, three months of sprinting around the house and excitement and jumping in a lake. Uh, and then that idea of coming back and getting that change of scenery, meeting new teachers, like having your social dynamics change every year. It's such a novelty. So your answer is going to school? A little <laughs> bit. It's like, it's that emotional roller coaster ride of the school year. I think it, it's really cool. I'm with you. The last day of school is the most joy we will ever feel in our lives. We will never get that high again. And like getting in the bus and leaving that school, like I can't even imagine being a bus driver the last day of school because every kid is just like, like vibrating out of their seats. Yeah. I will say the thing I miss about being a kid is when my parents or my friend's parents would pay for pizza Mm. would order pizza and as opposed to now where every time i order it it's like this is a stupid thing to be spending my money on <laughs> kyle, <laughs> pizza, yeah kyle is the only parent here do you do that do you like buy food for your kids friends and is one of those things of like it sucks <laughs> you buy food for your kid uh, <laughs> you, oh, feed your kid? you know i haven't fed her in a while <laughs> um i mean yeah i like it's it's a it's such a weird time because she has not had a friend over in a long time. But yeah, yeah like I would feed them. <laughs> do you ever it's, feel like it's weird? I don't know. It's like the thing about being a parent is like, you do weirdly get joy out of that stuff. Like it's, it's, I, I like, you know, buying food for my kid and her excited, you know, they're excited to have McDonald's or whatever, you know, like it's, and then I get some joy out of that. So it is like, yeah, I, no, it doesn't suck. No, you know? I understand you're feeding your kid. That's fine. But do you ever have that <laughs> feeling where like, uh, Becky's coming over. I got to buy pizza for Becky as well. Do you ever feel like just a little bit bitter about having to feed these weirdos? No, I don't. But I could see why people would. Um, okay. I like, I mean, like, I, yeah, I don't mind buying pizza for people. It's fun to buy food for people when you can afford it. You can, I can't always afford it, but like I always, in, I enjoy that. Like it's okay. it's fun because people are happy because they didn't have to buy pizza. You know? Yeah. Well, that and that is kind of one of the, one of the turns that I do enjoy about like adulthood is that it, I I get more joy out of like 
giving people stuff than getting it because I feel like I'm really hard to shop for, especially like from my parents. It's just like, I don't know. I have all the things that I want. Just give me like a pair of, like, like, give me like a shirt. I don't know. But I'm, <laughs> I, I get more excited about like, okay, well, how can I come up with a gift that I can give somebody versus like, yeah, like just give me whatever. I don't care. Like I'm the person who just wants money because I know that like, you know, they're, they're not going to give me something that it's like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like I, this has changed my life because you run out of things as an adult that do that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, I mean, do you guys, like, when you can, obviously it's not something that people can do all the time. It's not something I can do all the time. But, like, don't you like giving a big tip, like, when you have the opportunity to do so? Like, I always yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. Especially in this modern age. Yeah. You know, when people... Especially when I could expense it. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. very nice. That was nice <laughs> to charge it to GameStop all the time. You really go nuts on that one, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of, like, I don't need ass-kissing. But I recently tipped somebody, like I got some ice cream this last weekend, and it was basically because I'm terrible at math, but I ended up tipping like a 100% tip. And I wanted one of those just like, hey, just give me a facial expression. But like, I clearly put it in there and their face was just like, uh-huh. And then like turned around and walked. It's like, I, just, I don't need ass kissing. I just want a little like, little tip of the cap from them for my tip, you know? Thank you, sir. Yes, just a little thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, it's just a gravel. They bring out a carpet and then they start, yeah. Everybody's yeah. too good for graveling these days. That's what's wrong. <laughs> no, the kid, I gravel all the time. <laughs> uh, but then Colton also asked what's something you don't miss at all. And for me, it's being confused by everything. Obviously, life is confusing. That was overwhelming. But it's like the simple things of, I just remember watching The Simpsons and just resigning to the fact that, like, I don't understand 50% of these jokes. These references, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what the joke is here. And it would drive me insane not knowing what my favorite show was joking about. I so, mean, a small one for me, which is, like, not even a factor these days anymore. But, like, certainly in high school, like, not having to rely on my parents for transportation mm. was, like, huge for me. You know? Like, just not having to them to drive me somewhere or something was like right best, yeah you know oh sweet liberation yeah, uh, school homework yo the sucky things yeah 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 uh <laughs> matthew steen writes and says hello there hello um revolutionary is a video game descriptor that gets thrown around a lot usually indicating a monumental change or addition that a particular game might bring to the format which recent games big or small would argue would you argue have been revolutionary for the video game industry and why so revolutionary meaning that they are going to change it or that they should and were a very new thing? I think have have been revolutionary. So recent revolutionary. Hmm. It's tough because, yes, yeah, the thing is like, oh, I consider Breath of the Wild, you know, I think we talked about it before on this podcast for maybe too long of a period of time. I consider that revolutionary, but at the same time, it's the revolution that it's I don't see a lot of uh, new games picking up on those trends. I feel like some yeah. of them are. I think you can look to even something like Ghost of Tsushima, like the, the wind thing feels like an inspired, something inspired by the idea of like, let's have you look at the actual world more and less at menus or even right. something like Odyssey had like a mode where it's just like, you can just turn off all the indicators and stuff off so you can actually look at the world for, for context clues. I feel like it's, they're not like cribbing everything, but it, feel, it does feel like games are taking bits of pieces of Breath of the Wild over the years more so than yeah. a lot of like even other games whereas i think maybe witcher 3 maybe kind of inspired people to be like okay this open world thing we're doing i think could work and i think a lot of people are kind of taking a lot of the, the way it like uses its quest logs and stuff but i think a lot of people are taking 
inspiration from like the way Breath of the Wild approaches the open world uh, paradigm. I mean, could you point at stuff like the Destiny menu system? Like everyone's just stolen yeah. that. Is that I mean, revolutionary yeah. or is that just influential? Like menu. Yeah. Yeah. Menus aren't revolutionary. It's but the PUBG. Way, I mean, but the answer is PUBG. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hang on. I, I, yeah, I mean, he invented like, a whole genre. He won't I do want to say the obligatory PUBG didn't invent uh, Battle Royale before anybody writes in about that. Thank yeah. you. But, yeah, but but in terms of like the even having like a small space that contracts and kind of forces people to move around, it it wasn't like the first last man standing kind of deal. But I mean, it popularized it, it like undeniably. Yeah. No, I know. agree completely. Yeah. In, in that same vein, I do think like Destiny is one of the more influential ones in that. It, obviously, it's very much inspired by MMOs, right? It's like specific, even specifically, I think Luke Smith has mentioned World of Warcraft a lot when talking mm-hmm. about it. But I think. That was like a game that people are kind of looked to. It's like, oh, here's how you kind of implement like this live service game that people keep coming back to and giving money to, and is like this always on service that kind of isn't as doesn't require as much dedication as an MMO, but still has this thing where it's like, oh, come back, you know, whatever, and and always be online, and every th- every part of this is built around the idea of like an online infrastructure in a way that I don't think we had seen a ton of before destiny. Right. Right. Uh, Taylor Chadwick says last of us part two has created a lot of hot debate, including the idea that all video games should not make social or political statements. I find this idea absurd as almost all games say something about political or social systems. For example, Mario is helping to reinstate the rightful monarchy, making him a monarchist while Bowser attempts to seize power for himself, making him a symbol of the anti-establishment. Well, look. Okay. Uh, well, I didn't want to spoil Origami King, but oh no! <laughs> um, but Taylor asks, "What games do you think may not have an obvious social or political statement that, in fact, do say something about systems in our world?" Yeah, th- that's most games. But I, I like this question because um, the answer is Call of Duty, and and the the week when we all got fired from Game Informer, I had written an entire column kind of going back and looking through all of, you know, like the mainline Call of Duty modern warfare games and just pointing out how absurdly political those games were because the the debate at the time was about how like, oh, they're going to make, you know, like Call of Duty isn't political because that's what the, you know, developers said right. of the newest one and that, that whole argument of like, it looked like it was going to be political, but all like all the modern warfare games at some point in every single one of those games, first of all, the villain in most of those games ends up be working for the U S military. And then at some point in every one of those games, you go a wall and you disobey direct orders in order to go off and assassinate someone by yourself. And you're like directly go going against the U S military in right. all those games. And it's like, if, if you think there, there isn't a political message in that, then what the hell are you doing? We're playing Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's that's not political. That's a good point. Uh, Sorry, Morin, I retract all that. Okay, that's right. Uh, Morin writes in, says, my question is for Leo. Thank you. <laughs> Leo, where do you get your ideas from? Wow. Good question. I mostly steal them. <laughs> if I see somebody else has a good idea, I'll be like, oh, I'll do that. Yoinks. Um, what's your, uh, just to take this in the most serious place possible, um, what's your writing process like when you're writing stuff like video essays? Is it free-flowing jokes from your mind? Do you have scraps and bits and pieces in notes in your phone and then you stitch it together later? What is that process like for writing a video essay? 
my process used to be really slow and it was just kind of waiting for things to come to me. Yeah. And I, when I was first doing my gaming YouTube channel, Games Dumb for Kids, it was like th- th- three full days of writing to come up with our six jokes or whatever. But e- doing the E3 stuff kind of helped me get it down to a better format of like, okay, I have, I'll have the bullet points of what I want to talk about. And then I'll kind of go through and see if I can punch up each line and get a joke for it. Or like, if I can't, is it as short as it possibly can be? Yeah. I, there's a quote from Dan Harmon I liked where he talked about writing, uh, thinking, putting off writing because you think it's going to be this monumental thing where you're just like suddenly it's all coming to you and you're putting this beautiful thing on the page because everybody wants to uh, watch stuff that they think is better than they could make, right? And if they hold themselves to that standard, they're never going to write something better than they could write. Right. But it's a matter of putting something sh- terrible down on the page just to have something down and then editing it and editing it until you like it. And that's been a good philosophy for me for writing. Yeah, absolutely. Just get something written even if it's bad. Right. Yeah. And just punch it up. You got something to improve then. Um, Jeremy Long says, does Leo plan to wait until Hitman 3 comes out before declaring a game of the year for 2021 or is he prepared to lock it in now? I'll lock it in now. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Hitman 2, the unlockables are carrying over, so... There you go. It's, already, it's already given me more reason to play hit more Hitman 2. And for that reason, it is my game of the year for this year. Wow, there it is. Chris Logan says, hey, cohorts, you must decide definitively and don't overthink it and don't give It Depends as an answer. Numbered sequels or subtitled sequels? <gasps> Numbered. 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 Yeah. Subtitled. Oh, mm. Jeff, um? He wants to say it depends so badly. <laughs> um, I'll say subtitled. Why? What is wrong with you? Freaks? Because creatively, it it's I'd I'd rather push the developers to do something creative than just slap a f and four on it. And like, it can be more descriptive, right? Like Watch Dogs Legion tells you more what it is than Watch Dogs Three. And plus, in if we're talking about video games, yeah, sequels are so built so that you don't have to play the ones before. You can buy this one first if you want it, if it looks cool to you. So I think the sequel thing matters so little. Well, I feel like isn't the crux of the question is like if you had to only play games that nope. were sequel, like which no. do you prefer? No, just like as a naming convention. I think it's just which you prefer. Oh, then yeah, I guess I, I guess I like it better when the when the sequel is subtitled. But I thought it was like we got which three games, out of five now. That's the majority. On average, are numbered sequels yeah. better than the games that are subtitled? Yeah, guys, I like subtitled too. I don't know what's wrong with Kyle over here. I think he's a real oh, dumbo. God, Kyle. Watch Dogs Three is so much simpler and straightforward, and people are gonna call it that anyway. Legion just feels like um, highfalutin. interesting now you're attacking ubisoft kyle you got some nerve wait Uh, what if middle ground what if it's three spelled (laughs) t-h-r-e-e that's also great okay watchdogs colon three spelled out (laughs) i just i I, are i'm with kyle like i don't like the confusion about what to call these things at times even like it's interesting that people refer to it as Black Flag over Assassin's Creed 4 at that point, and that seemed to be a big turning point for that series overall, where they tried to cram both of those things in there, and then eventually were like, okay, forget that. Forget the numbers for now. Maybe eventually they'll come back to the numbers at some and point. And that's why Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a terrible game, so thank you. Wow, you know, I've <laughs> never I thought you convinced. preferred subtitled sequels. 
I would love for it just to be called The Legend of Zelda 8 or whatever. Like, I think it's, I, I think <laughs> there's a weird fun thing <gasps> of like Final Fantasy 15. Like, it just, yes. it just has a legacy built into that yep, title, which I'm is like interesting you. to me. Like, wow, there are 15 of these things, but like Breath of the Wild, like, I don't but, know. No, yeah, I wish the Zelda other thing had is that they legacy. don't follow that. They, like, Final Fantasy 15 <laughs> is not the 15th Final Fantasy game. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not, not, going it's not confusing line. as to what to refer it to. You call it the name of the game. <laughs> <laughs> This is tearing us apart. Chris Logan, what have you done to us? You're a monster and we'll never forgive you. And this is why we're no longer doing questions. That's right. Shut <laughs> that down. Uh, Adam Wagner, I hope it's not Wagner, who knows, says, hey, sup, nerds. Um, do you guys have any graphic novel recommendations? I love Watchmen and I'd argue the book is the greatest work of art of all time. Eh, sure. It's in the consideration. I just reread sure. that. Um, any graphic novel recommendations from anybody? No, but I just love the fact that every time Leo drinks something, his entire face goes into that cup. <laughs> it's amazing. I want you to get a hat, like a beer hat that has two of those cups, um, because then also your neck would just be like swole. Just unbelievable as you're chugging out of these buckets. Talk about a novel. Graphic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, uh, I think probably my favorite graphic novel is Mouse. Oh, yeah. Like this, like Art Spiegelman. It's like a, this huge Holocaust allegory about how the, 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 the Jews in World War II were like m- m- uh, mice and the Nazis were cats basically. And so he tell, but like, I think what's better than like, even beyond the premise of that is the way he's kind of, instead of just like, here's the Holocaust as told in this allegorical way, it's more about like, he is taught, he's interviewing his father about his experiences. And there's a lot of like modern time kind of conversation between him and his dad and how he remembered it and kind of conversations about how he felt about it you know, post-war basically. And it's, I think it's two volumes, but uh, I think you should be able to find them pretty cheap at this point. Yeah. And it's M A U S. Uh, it's very good. I remember there was some criticism of him and just like, what are you doing? You're taking the Holocaust and you're like putting cutesy animals into it and turning it into a comic book. What is this? Uh, and he had a very sweet answer where he's like, well, look, no, it's just like an ode to my dad and a way to honor my dad and my dad's story for going through that era. And he's like, and he said, if I was a baker, I would try and bake a loaf of bread in honor of my dad. But like, I'm a, you know, I write graphic novels. So I'm trying to do the best I can here. And these are my tools, which was a sweet answer. Um, my favorite yes. graphic novel is called The Wrenchies. It is about a, so a gang of post-apocalyptic kids who are trying to stay alive. And it's also about a weird little nerd in New York who dresses up as a superhero and gets beat up at school. And it's also about... Uh, killing yourself trying to write your magnum opus. And it's a very, very interesting book. The Wrenchies. Recommended Wrenchies. highly. How do you spell um, it? Like wrench, like the tool, but with an IES. Mm. Is it insane? This is a bad sign where I hear that. I'm like, if it's that good, I think Hulu would have picked it up by now or something. Like, it's weird that <laughs> it, it seems tailor made for being like adapted somewhere, don't you think? Yeah, it's also kind of a pretty closed story. But also, yeah, I don't know. I don't hear very many people talk about it. Joe Buckles is the one who rep- recommended it to me. So if you need a, someone to vouch for it, that guy knows art. That's Because he make art. That's true. Um, here's a deep cut. Dark Knight Returns. Uh, if you've never read it, just read it. it it's a great time. Mm. But realistically here as well, um, if you've never read the Scott Pilgrim books... They're oh, yeah. such fast reads, and they're so much fun. Um, if you like the movie, you should definitely go and watch those. Which, by the way, did you hear that apparently Edgar Wright was floating the idea of like maybe doing an animated version of Scott Pilgrim in the future? Hmm. Oh, like a 
sequel? I don't know. Or just like a TV version of it or something. But that's not I mean, like there was like a 15 minute like adult swim animated prequel. Oh, really? That used the style of the comic book. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Kyle, is your recommendation here? Uh, you know, I, I don't read it. I read a, like Watchmen and Dark Knight and stuff like that. Like I've read all those. I don't really have any like deep cuts. I love like, all the Akira graphic novels. Um, but yeah, it's, not, it's just cool sci-fi. It's not really like heady or, you know, has a bigger thing to say like mouse or wrenchy. It's just mm-hmm. like, Hey, this guy's psychic and it's scary. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. Uh, Christian Guzman says Leo's the guy with the apricots, right? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Robinson writes in and says, Hey cohorts, awesome to have Leo Vader in the mix. And my question is mainly for him. How stoked are you for the announcement of skate four? Yeah. Hell yeah. I like that we got the false alarm where people thought it was just a mobile thing. Yeah. And it turns out they're actually doing it. Even if they they're... actually announced that? Skate <laughs> 4? Yeah. When did they do that? <laughs> uh, At EA Play this year. When was that? That was a couple weeks ago. Uh, did we not talk about it on the show? Maybe we didn't, or maybe you just weren't on that week or something. No, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I'm laughing at oh, Jeff, but I'm like, because I mean, to be fair, they didn't really have anything to show. You know, they just said, we're working on it, you know. And they didn't say Skate 4, to be fair. They said, we're working on Skate. We're bringing Skate back. And yeah, we haven't even drawn a piece of concept art yet, but <laughs> read my lips, Skate. What would you want the subtitle on it to be then? Oh, good question. Yeah, Leo, take it away. Uh, skate 4, four Jesus words scared. in time. <laughs> really good, really good, man. What do you uh, they call F- it? F-O-U-R-W-A-R-D-S. <laughs> That's right. Hell but yeah. They somehow found a way to combine the number four and the word board. Before they can do scafort. <laughs> All great options. Where's an easy A. Yeah. Uh, but Matt also asked bigger question though, with skater Excel sessions and Tony Hawk pro skater remake coming soon. Do you think EA are going to be too late to the party? And do you think the skate game market will just get overly saturated, saturated again? And we'll have another point where we have to wait 10 years to get a good skateboarding game. Hmm. They did sure take their sweet time. Oh yeah, doing a new skate thing. But yeah, I, I it is kind of uh, worrying how much is coming. If it will all get the support it needs to stay alive, or if people who are interested in skateboarding games will kind of spread out across all of them, and none, no single one of them will do that well. But it's hard to believe that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater remakes are not going to do massive numbers. Oh, and yeah. they get real sequels the way the Crash remakes ended up getting real Crash games made. Yeah, even it's from a slightly different studio there, but yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a, a game that you're feeling the best about from that bunch? Uh, honestly, the Tony Hawk remakes. Skater yeah. XL looks cool, but I think the, the arcadier style is what I'm more in the mood for right now. Gotcha. Skate 4, I'll have to see more. Well, then get a load of this. Or see it all. Leo. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Thomas writes in and says, I have a game. There were seven games that were directly based on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and utilized its engine. What were these seven games? That utilized its engine. Okay. Yes. Um, Dave Mears BMX. Okay. Hang on. Is, is it in the list? Uh, no. Chance really? to Seal? Uh, yes. Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX. Matt oh. Hoffman's Pro BMX. And I'll throw it in there. Pro right. BMX 2. Yes, it's confusing okay. where that, that was also a, a name of a game, but not the Activision game, apparently. Any other guesses? Disney's one? Extreme Skate Adventure. Disney's Extreme Skate Adventure is on there. 
What the hell nice. is that? Wow. He's somehow flexing his beard that. again. <laughs> we should play that at some point somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why I remember that. I don't remember any others. Weird. Uh, so Kelly Slater, right? Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer. You got and it. There was a sh- it was a Sean skateboarding, but not like redheaded Sean, right? Correct. Not so not Murray. <laughs> Sean no, Murray's not Murray. snowboarding. Not not the no was, Man's Sky guy. No. So what? It was Sean Murray snowboarding. <laughs> no, it Sean wasn't White. Sean, Mur- no, Sean White. Why? Nope. Why am I getting Sean Murray? Sean Murray, I think, is a wakeboarder. I think okay, we've been over this recently. Oh wait. Oh yeah. yes, yes. Wakeboarding Unleashed, featuring Sean Murray, is one okay. of them. S H A U N. Yes. God, so that's six, right? Uh, I think that's five. Five. Okay. Um. There's a uh, snowboarding I game. Tapped. I think that's it. Okay, well, you were you were basically there, Kyle. Sean Palmer's pro snowboarder. Mm. Who can forget? Okay, I knew it was a Sean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this one, oh boy, I don't think we'd get. But MTX Moto Tracks originally developed as Travis Pastrana's Pro Moto X, but then apparently they dropped the Travis Pastrana name. That's a the Moto ultimate Cross. slap in the face. What's that? I believe it's pronounced motocross. Ah, thank you uh, for making me less of a dweeb. Uh, <laughs> Juan Cabrera says, hello, Min Max. Quick question. If there is an E3 next summer, can we make a Patreon goal of get Leo to his first E3? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the king has right. to sit on his throne, right? Yeah. That's right. That sounds like Kate, so Leo could go. And is it's, that the right word? I don't think so. Yeah. And everybody knows that throne, yeah, when yeah. E3 comes yeah, back that next year. That I have the throne, which I do not. Yeah, Leo has the throne. Yeah. 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 He was the last king of E3, and they said, okay, we figured out who the th- E3 king was. Let's shut it down. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh no. Whoa. He's got the crown and everything. Oh, I bet you're wishing you were watching this on YouTube right now. <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> sweet. For the audio listeners, he's put on a crown. The crown. <laughs> and taken out his shirt, which is incredible. <laughs> you, Still you, flexing his beard somehow. Kyle, what's your um, scale of 1 to 10? How do you think, um, how are you going to review E3 2021? How freaky is that thing going to be? 10 being like, uh, you know, headphones and maybe Devolver somewhere on the show floor at this point. That's and, a 10? And 1 being <laughs> standard E3 from like 2011, hmm. let's say. Where is it going to be on that spectrum? I think a four, a four, maybe a three closer, closer to old school, closer to just a, you think it's returning somewhat back to normal next year? Yeah. I mean, optimistically, I think so. I could totally get my own public thing. I should get my own booth at E3, right? I think you might be able to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very smart move. Yeah. Uh, If you see a booth that says King on it, you just get in there. Don't worry about the developers in there. It's it's not a mobile mobile game. game. It's nowhere near it. Uh, Yeah. I think it's going to be just a freak show. I'm looking forward to it, but I think it's going to be just, that's E3, everybody. And they'll try and make a big splash with it. And then you're going to go there and be like, what is happening here? But who knows? Either way, Leo will be on the ground floor to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, James Smith says, hello, King Leo. And the four other less important people on the podcast. Thank you. Fair enough. Uh, James Smith Fair. wants to know, which Hamilton song did you have stuck in your head when you woke up this morning? Uh, I saw this question. And it was very telling because I literally had 10 dual commandments stuck in my head 
uh, as I was going through these questions. So thank you, James Smith. And thank you for probably listening to our Mintrax episode all about Hamilton as well. Um, and Taylor Chadwick replies and said, I had the section of the election of 1800 where the chorus says Jefferson or Burr in my head for two weeks. And oh my God, now it's back. I also had the entire weekend. I had that dear Mr. Hamilton. Like I could not get out of my head for that section of the election of 1800. Anyways, for me, it's uh, I'm just a bill. <laughs> yep you got it kyle silva says hello everybody i have a question aimed towards mr hilliard as the dad of the group as you likely have to share your tv time with your daughter i've been watching cartoon network recently because of nostalgia there's a show on the channel called craig of the creek that i adore for the way it presents friends support youth and other wholesome themes it's one of those shows that i'm happy this current generation of kids are able to grow up with so mr hilliard i was wondering what currently airing tv shows are you happy that your daughter gets to grow up with um yeah i i have a i feel, I feel very strongly that like children's television on cartoon network is like and nickelodeon stuff is like better children's entertainment than like the, sh- the shows my kid watches are like so much better than anything that we watched when I was a kid. Like, it's crazy how good animation, animated television is right now. But, yeah. I mean, the big one for me is, like, Steven Universe is, like, so, is incredible. Like, just in the way it just promotes, like, being a good person while still being having this amazing story. And also, like, like just, pr- like, what personal identity means to somebody. Like, they really get into these, like, interesting themes, but it's still super fun. And then I also... It's not airing right now, but Star versus the Forces of Evil on Disney is like the best. Uh, it, it had its run. It had a nice ending, but like uh, I think those two shows are some of my favorite recent like animated children's shows that I've watched. Right on. There we go. Uh, Brian Keys Jr. has a game. The game Ooh. is called Name That Game: Colon Google Search Trend Editions. I will give you a month slash year and a Google search term that was trending on Google Search. Mm. and try and guess the game that caused it to spike. For example, June 2020 saw a Google trend surge in ludonarrative dissonance. And what's the game that caused it? Last of Us Part 2. There we go. Last of Us Part 2. Well done. All right. Okay. This is very good, Brian Keys. Um, May 2017, the search is Circle. PUBG? PUBG, way to go. Nice, nice. Mentioned earlier. That's crazy. Um, okay. <laughs> I want to learn more about these circles. <laughs> What's a circle? <laughs> That's how you know it was revolutionary. That's, That's right. Well, uh, literally, because... Yeah. <laughs> it's a diameter. So it wasn't the Tom Hanks movie, is what you're saying. That's right. Um, wait, there's a Tom Hanks movie called Circle? The Circle, right? Emma Watts. Emma, What's her name? Emma, oh, my God. Miley. Has yeah. anybody ever Emma mentioned Watson? this film? Um. Yes. Okay. Oh, it was. You know what? You know where I heard about it recently. Hanson is where I hear about everything Conan. in my life. Is they were talking about you. You've got mail on blank check, and they were oh. talking about Tom Hanks's career. Of course. Of <laughs> and course. how he never plays a villain. And when he, on the very few occasions that he does, nobody likes those movies. One of their examples was The Circle. <laughs> Weird. Kyle, I want to say nicely done. The Circle release date, April 28th, 2017. <laughs> nice. Oh my God. <laughs> Nailed it. Guys, I'm freaking out. Maybe that is a reason that it was trending in addition Maybe. to PUBG. <laughs> uh, okay, this one's a tricky one. June 2019, Metroidvania. June 2019. Uh, Dead Cells? No. Last year, 
the Metroidvania from last year. Bloodstained? Yes. Way to go, oh, nice. Leo. Way to go, Fed man. Fed with confidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was not sure if that came out last year. <laughs> uh, June 2020. Okay, recently. Sea Bass. Uh, Animal Crossing. There we go. Well done. Nice. Oh, March 2012. Romance Options. Uh, Mass <laughs> 3. Well. Way to go, Serial. Yes, I love you got the right uh, numbered game as well. Um, April slash May 2007, there was a surge in the search for mini games. What was Mario the... Party? I'm sorry, Kyle. I need a number. <laughs> Six. Incorrect. Mario Party 7. Incorrect. This is 2007, you Neanderthals. Come on. Mario Party 8. Ooh. Of course it's Mario Party 8 in 2007. I knew it. First try. <laughs> Killing it. Uh, thank you for your game, Brian Keys. Very good. Um, yeah, very good. Josh Elliott writes in and says, Hello, when I was in fifth grade, I was home alone during summer vacation playing Brain Age on my Nintendo DS. Brain Age, super peaceful game, right? Wrong. I had one of the scariest video game moments of my life while playing this game. Out of nowhere, the touchscreen on the bottom of the DS started drawing random shapes and squiggles. My young mind was convinced that there was a ghost trying to play my DS, and I wasn't having any of that. I threw my DS on the couch, ran out of the house as fast as I could, and went to the neighbors until my parents eventually came home from work. I wanted to ask, what is the most unconventional slash irrational way video games has scared you? Uh, Certain glitches on living creatures within a game humans or otherwise sometimes they really unsettle me in a very uh irrational way in like red dead there's a common bug where birds will have their wings bent downwards as if they're at the end of a fly motion but they're just frozen that way and they're just scooting through the air (laughs) with their wings straight down and looking up and seeing that Oddly unsettling oh to me. God. And also something like in Saints Row the Third, or maybe it was the fourth one. It's the fourth one because it was in the simulation. But like everybody starts bugging out near this certain thing and like people's heads are getting bigger or their eyes are coming out of their heads. There's like glitches within simulation there. That freaked me out in a yeah. weird way. There's that uh that MLB glitch face that I think I don't even want to bring up because I hate that image. <laughs> Wait, what of, is it like, again? The weird glitchy image of like this these like really glitched oh players God. in MLB. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Oh. <laughs> no! That's why I hesitated to bring it up because it's like the, the most name, unsettling thing I've seen. In the name of all that's holy, don't Google MLB glitch face. You want to Google it because it's like, what are they talking about? Don't, you don't want to look at it. Trust this me, if you want to sleep tonight or just live a happy life at any moment from here on out, don't Google MLB glitch face. <laughs> Oh my god. I think this is a reaction video that you could post, Hansen, because you and Leo, like, <laughs> that's rough, man. Min-Max reacts to the MLB face glitch. Oh, it hit me where it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've talked about it before. It's so stupid, but I remember playing Super Smash Brothers Brawl uh, right when it came out, and I was a little bit uh, under the influence, and, uh, and not, what? it's not important, but what I thought was happening... <laughs> I was like, I knew it was just a game, but in my mind, there was a moment where the pit player, which was the AI, was like kicking all of our asses, and we thought we set it to a low level, and it was like the the all black pit, like the black costume variant pit, and I, I made some comment about like, geez, Dark Angel of Death here, what's going on? 
And then at a certain point, my friend Grant, uh, chef from Snacks, just kind of had a moment of like, what's with this pit? And at that point, my mind shattered thinking about like, what if we all were convinced that this pit became self-aware and was just annihilating all of us and we all got really scared? And not that I thought that was happening, but I melted down as a human being laughing slash crying about that notion about this pit becoming self-aware and it really freaked me out in a weird way. It sounds like the episode in a season of Black Mirror that everyone was like, well, that one wasn't that great. That's but. right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'd like to sum up a lot of chapters from my life. Good. Yeah, exactly. They'll call it something corny like falling down the pit or whatever, <laughs> or just the pit. Oh, the pit's the very pit. good, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Bob Buell says, howdy, Leo, and the other couple of fellas. Hello. Howdy. Uh, it's time to play America's fastest growing game show sensation, Mega Man X Enemy or House Music DJ. So in every right. matchup below, one option is the name of an enemy character from a game in the Mega Man X series, and the other is the name of an electronic dance DJ. Can you find out which is which? All I'm right. excited about this. Kyle, you have the floor? Kyle, yeah, you'll go, you'll <laughs> go first here. All right, so is this a DJ's name or Mega Man X Enemy? Uh, which Okay, to choose which one is the Mega Man character, please. Okay. Bamboo Pandemonium or Infected Mushroom? Infected Mushroom. I'm sorry. Bamboo Pandemonium is oh, the Mega oh. Man X character. Mr. You know Mega what? Man X himself. You know what? You know what I was thinking when you said this? And now I'm like, now I've lost so much confidence. Is yeah. I thought you meant bosses. Oh, no, 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 no. These In are bosses, enemies. I was like, I've got bosses. Enemies, though, that's much trickier. Perfect. Much trickier. All right. Leo Vader. Bad Boy Bill or D <laughs> or D-Rex? Uh, D-Rex is the Mega Man character. Correct! Leo, champion of Mega Man X from here on out. Uh, <laughs> Surreal. <laughs> DJ Pee-Pee or Rangda Bangda? I'm going to go Rangda Bangda. Is the Mega Man. Yes. Correct. Oh, that was a tricky one. Yeah, I knew those two. Those are mini bosses. All right. Uh, Jeff, oh, I, mean, I think Leo, Leo and I are tied right now for... Rangdabanga, no. he has the eyeballs that bounce around. You look, we all it. know Rangdabanga's eyeballs. They look like the MLB glitches. Um, the big Rangdabanga stands around here. That's what we're known for. All right, Jeff. That was the other name for Midmax was Rangdabanga. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeffum, Dr. Doppler or Sunscream? Sunscream is Mega Man. I'm sorry, Doctor Doppler is Mega Man. Uh, Kyle Hilliard, the big bad for Mega Man X3. Oh I'm no, we're losing him. Easy one, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> losing it. <laughs> Storming it. You're All right, Jeff. Oh. Sorry, uh, Kyle. Fats and small, or Soldier Stone Kong. What? I, I, I think. I think Fats and Small might be Mega Man. Kyle, again, incorrect. Oh, it's wow. Soldier Stone Kong. <laughs> <laughs> this is embarrassing. This is, this is I, tough. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Leo, D-Light or Soul Solar? Uh, <clears throat> D-Light is the Mega Man X character. I'm sorry. Soul Solar is the Mega Man X oh, character. Wow. All right. Surreal. Omid 16B or Disc Boy 08? (laughs) 
Old Mid 16B is Mega Man. Yeah. I'm sorry, Disc Boy 08 wow. is Mega Man. Don't be oh, confused. Boy. But hey, Bob Buell, hell of a game. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Does uh, anyone want to, text Jeff want to what? Text Jeff him. No, he's doing his thing. He's, he's running around the house. Um, does anybody have a favorite for a question of the week? What was the nicest know. thing said about me? <laughs> it just, it honestly, to be fair, I deleted it. It was towards the end, and more people were just commenting about how much they love you. <laughs> so I thought it was, Aww. I thought we got the message at that point. <laughs> uh, Can we give um, question you. of the week to a question we didn't bring up? Uh, I don't think that's ever been done, <laughs> and it shall not be done. Um, I like number you know, versus colon. What's that? Number versus colon. Oh, interesting. A nice yeah. simple one. Job history one. I like job history. I like what do we miss about being a kid? Uh, Leo Vader, I'll let you choose. I like number versus colon. Simple number versus colon. All right, there Simple, it is. Simple, but I haven't heard it before, and it's a good question. That is true. Uh, congratulations to, as we all know, Chris Logan for winning question of the week, and I'm 8-Bit. We'll ship you out this awesome vinyl soundtrack to League of Legends. Even if you don't play, it's a cool thing you can put on a shelf. It'll look great. All right. Uh, now it's time for a segment that we call Get a Load of This. Kyle, do you want to kick this whole thing off? Look, Jeff will yeah. be back when Jeff wants to come back. It's his <laughs> call. His it's his life, man. Uh, oh, oh, here he is. There he is. Okay. Sorry, mine's uh, loading. Just take a second. Uh, but get a load of this. This is a tweet from at Game Makers TK. Game Maker's Toolkit, and they just said, I'm sorry for doing this. And all they did, <laughs> it's so stupid and infuriating, but so effective, is they took the Outer Wilds logo, but it did it in the style of the Outer Worlds logo, and then did the Outer Worlds logo in the style of the Outer Wilds logo. <laughs> it's perfect. And it just breaks your brain to look at. It's, it's, it, it, it's genuinely upsetting. It's like when... Um, that NES game for the 3DS let you play the original Super Mario Brothers from right to left instead of the left to right. It's, oh, it's right. Troubling. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's great. Uh, I love that that rivalry lives on. Uh, Jeff, um, did you have a get a load of this? Yeah, hey, uh, get a load of this. Um, this is one of those Mandela effect things that was inspired by a community get a load of this first. But do you guys remember the Fruit of the Loom logo? It's like a bunch of grapes and stuff. Yeah. Cornucopia. There you go. There you go, Leo. That cornucopia never existed in the logo. (laughs) And everyone is losing their mind over it. And and when I when I first thought of it, I was like, yeah, it's just like a bunch of fruit with some leaves and stuff. But then they showed a picture with the cornucopia, and I was like, oh yeah, there was definitely a cornucopia there. Uh, but that has never actually existed in the logo. And well, yeah, I drew can't it understand on. where it comes from. <laughs> drew it on every time. Oh, that's a weird one. I love those things for sure. Yeah, very weird. It's a little bit like a golden birthday. I understand. So uh, then what? Do they talk about why people think there's a cornucopia in there or what the origin of that part of it no, was? No, one, no one understands. But they found like, you know, like newspaper articles and stuff referencing it as <laughs> like, you remember what a cornucopia is, you know, like the Fruit of the Loom logo. And it's like, no, that, that was never in I love that. Serial, uh, do you have one? Uh, yeah, this, this is a, uh, a tweet from Lance McDonald. 
at Manfight Dragon. Uh, since we mentioned earlier that Death Training is out on PC, people have been messing around with it, you know, you, hacking it and stuff. Uh, and he tweets, I am very sorry to report that when Sam takes a piss in Death Stranding with camera hacks, there is no penis to be discovered. So apparently <laughs> in the PS4 version, you could move the camera up, but it would never kind of show you anything. But here right. people can obviously just dive into the game, but they didn't model it. Wow. Ooh. So Damn. That's, I, that's what that game right. is bad, actually. So Yeah. And Kojima <laughs> calls himself an artist. It God. just ruins the metaphor. It doesn't even make <laughs> sense. <laughs> uh, Leo, welcome to get a load of this. Uh, do you understand how it works? Uh, yeah. Get a load of this, guys. Uh, I, maybe this is common knowledge, but I only found out about it recently. Uh, did you know Superman didn't used to fly? Oh, he could just and, leap really far. And yeah, in the first three years of the comic, in 1938 to 1941, he could only jump an eighth of a mile was his power. <laughs> and then they gave him the ability to fly later. An eighth uh, of a mile, so specific. Was that, was that his that, only power? Well, he could raise tremendous weights and okay. run faster than an express train, but he could okay. leap one eighth of a mile. It spells it out pretty clearly. That's like the perfect leap tall buildings in a single bound. That's right. That's like the perfect example of just storytelling running away and like, wow, well, we gotta we gotta up the stakes a little bit at some point. It's like, yeah, why just an eighth of a mile? Let's just have him fly. Okay, what if he can fly though, but then also go so fast he can rewind the earth? <laughs> like it's just like this crazy <laughs> extension of how far they can power go. creep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I found my get a load of this because hey, get a load of this um, from Leo's dad on Twitter. He tweeted this out, and I thought it was interesting. Um, there is uh, the Library of Congress apparently has published over eleven thousand high resolution shots of United States roadside attractions and has released the images to which it had purchased the rights into the public domain for everybody. The photos were taken by architectural critic and photographer John Margolis, who spent 40 years documenting his travels along U.S. highways, photographing billboards, drive-ins, diners, car washes, mini-golf, novelty buildings, and other roadside constructions. But I love this, dude. The Library of Congress just bought all these images and like, there you go. Now everybody can use them for everything. So please look forward to every future thumbnail for MinMax just being a wacky roadside attraction from across the United States. <laughs> Uh, wow, Jeff, shouts out my dad. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, that dad. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff, did you have one from the community pull from the Discord? Yeah, so get a load of this. Uh, this was what reminded me of the other uh, one, that my one for this week. Um, but this was Jim Chatterton in the get a load of this channel, uh, and he was sharing a tweet from David Chen where he he kind of got compiled a bunch of movie you know like movie posters and stuff and it was movies that inspired a popular you know like term so like sophie's choice is what created this idea of sophie's choice and stuff but one of them is the bucket list and apparently bucket the term bucket list didn't exist until the movie the bucket list was made what are you taught that movie from like five years ago? Yes. And that's what's breaking everyone's brains. And apparently this has been very well researched because the first time I saw it too, I was like, well, no, I, everyone knew what bucket list was. That's yeah. why they named the movie that but apparently ev- everyone who has researched this has gone through the history of it and credits this movie as the one that term that coined that term. 
That's wow. it. Shut down society. That there's no way that can be true. You, you know what that means? That means that that movie had an amazing trailer because like no one. Yeah. How many people have really watched that movie? But yeah, we haven't even seen that movie. I've never seen it, but like I think it was watching the trailer that they just executed. Like, th- here's what this is, and this is what this movie is about, and it just feels like okay, I understand. Bucket list, got it. God, and remember that film was like these. These MFers are about to die. They're going on one last trip. And apparently that was 13 years ago, and none of them are dead. <laughs> well, Han- the Hanson, they, 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 okay, so, so uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, like both of their characters, um, him and Morgan Freeman, yeah. they're, they're, they were playing characters. They're, they were fictional. Excuse me? So they put like old oh. age makeup on them, you think? No, also, I think Hanson... You you haven't seen the movie, but the the last thing in their bucket list is to never die. <laughs> Check that off yeah. the list. Yep. Yeah, perfect. They know you could just do that. Anyways, Leo <laughs> Vader, thank you so much for being here in your first episode of the Min Max Show. Thank you so much. You did it, man. Uh, how does it feel? Surprises along the way? Twists, turns? Twists and turns. It was fun. It's fun chatting with you guys oh, about gaming. You. It's yeah. been a while. It's comforting. Yeah, miss it. Oh, that's yeah. nice. And I hope you're comfortable in your beautiful home. It looks like you're now um, streaming from a wedding dress, as Dan Reichert put it, um, with some beautiful <laughs> window shades behind you. So uh, I mailed it to Leo. Oh, yeah. I see how that works. There's uh, another person on top of me, and we're a bride together <laughs> to get into somewhere. Oh, cool. Congratulations, man. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm very excited to see what you do here, Leo, and uh, you know the impact you can have on this small little outlet overall. I think it's going to be a huge one. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for taking a chance uh, in your life. I, I, hope, I hope it pays off and I hope things go well. And I'm feeling very good that they will. Me too. Okay, great. <laughs> Optimistic. And, perfect. And thanks again to the community for uh, supporting MinMax overall. Here's a list of $50 supporters. You can add your name to the list if you'd like. Uh, it's I am 8-Bit, The Bam Box, Beaten Down Brian, Zachary Pliggy, Rebecca Lang, Mirko Rico Torreno, Brian with a Y, Jawar Hello, Mark Seliga, Andrew Valla, Jesse Vitelli, Ian T. Clark, JT Fells, Andrew Sanford, Ludwig Roque, Matthew Paxton, Steve Bamdead, Ty Mom Tom, Josh Elliott, Yarrow, Tyler Carver, Captain Stubbs 1, Michael Jakes, and Midnight Satire. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Let's go!